Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And before we begin, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the to all the mamas out there. Uh, happy Mother's Day. And if you are um, no longer able to uh, see and hold your child, uh, Happy Mother's Day to you as well. Because you will one day. You will, as surely as the Lord lives. Uh, I pray, I pray, uh, peace and grace to you all. And you know, I teach from America. This is uh, Mother's Day, uh, so if you're not in America and wherever you are in the world, Happy Mother's Day to you as well. Um, grace and peace and love to you all, uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, if you have your Bible, please open up to First Corinthians 15. Now, we're coming to the close of First Corinthians, um, and it's so beautiful to see how just the if you look at the book in, in entirety, and I, we're not in the end yet, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's so beautiful just to see the turmoil in the church as a result of carnality and how is it that the lord brings about stability how is it that the lord brings about order in the fellowship uh and the vessels that he uses remember those in the household of chloe never forget that because a lot of times people think okay you know what can i do i'm not a pastor i'm not an elder what can i do but how beautiful is it to see at the very beginning how there's mention of those in the household of Chloe who says, wow, there's something wrong here. Amidst the defunct pastors, the defunct elders, uh, of which Paul says, you know, they're preschool teachers. They're like little, you know, teachers, trainers of little little babies. You know, if you're uh, uh, going to go to medical school, if you're going to go to law school, if you're going to go into higher academia, you're not going to seek out the preschool teacher. You need somebody to teach you, to give you the deep things of higher academia. Now, take that with a grain of salt because the day that we live in today, higher academia in the ways of the world, it's entering crazy town. It's been in crazy town. But I'm speaking in terms of academia to give you an example of our own growth and maturity in Christ. Moving on to deeper things, you know how Paul says, you know, lay aside those things which so easily ensnare you, which so easily uh, entangle you. I say, Paul, uh, there's a reference in Hebrews where you know you look at the the, the themes of uh, 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 Hebrews, and a lot of times people think it's Paul that wrote. Some people say it's Apollos who wrote. Me personally, I think it's more of has. Uh, Paul-like uh, attributes to, to Hebrews. But maturing in Christ, we see how, how beautiful it is to see this division and separation, the leaven. You know, it's, I, I say how beautiful, how it, it's both. It's bitter and it's also sweet. Bitter in terms of there's people that have left the fellowship. There have people there. There have has been brothers and sisters identified as leaven, and Paul says not even to eat with such with such a person, not because you're mean spirited, church in Corinth, but because of the works of the flesh. And don't forget, it. it this is a period of time, three years, arrested development, no growth. And once these people had been identified, it's like, okay, don't, don't even eat with such a person. 
because there's no growth, no maturity. And so now you get a picture of the remnant, how order is established in the remnant, which is the church in Corinth. You see this transition, this beautiful tempo that we see in the uh, first Corinthians. And the Lord brings about order. And who are the vessels that he uses? Of course, we can say Paul, but we can also say Chloe. What about the unnamed people? What about the remnant that remains? As the Lord establishes order, don't forget to have order that the Lord brings about. When you know in in, in chapter fourteen, verse uh, 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 thirty three, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. It first requires each and every vessel to apply the word of God in their lives. You and me, back in Corinth, the church then, male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. For us today, that's you and me. You and me. We have to apply the word of God in our lives to be obedient to the word of God and yield to the word of God. And the word become flesh, don't forget. Yield to the spirit of our Lord. And the spirit of our Lord will never contradict the word of our Lord. Never. And so we have order in the fellowship, order in our hearts, peace in our hearts. No confusion. Even though I mean, you can look at the church and say like, wow, there's a lot of confusion everywhere. But I wonder if the remnant today is can be likened to those in the household of Chloe back in the Corinthian days. Where you could look around and be like, wow, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong in this fellowship. Look at all the sex. Look at all the drugs. Look at all the alcohol. Look at all the everything. Look at all this, this, the works of the flesh. Wow, there's something wrong here. And I wonder if the, the remnants today can be likened to the household of Chloe. A little home fellowship. But yet, how beautiful is it that the Lord uses a vessel, Paul, you know, receiving notice from the other vessels in the household of Chloe. To now, in this work of the Lord, to bring about order in Corinth. And how it begins with separation. This is the leaven. Okay, send the leaven away. Not away like, you know, they're going to burn in hell. But the Old Testament testifies of the exact same thing with leprosy outside the camp. You see? Old Testament and New Testament. So here we see in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, chapter 15, verse 1, 1 Corinthians, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand. Very important. Very, very important. It's not just, you know, which you also received, period. No, the Bible doesn't say that. Which you also received, and in which you stand, which is a military term here. To stand is to hold and abide. And remember, this is the remnant. This is the remnant of Corinth. And also still, no period. He goes on in verse 2. By which, so verse 1, in which you stand. In verse 2, by which also you are saved. You see, saved. To be saved, to be delivered. To be protected and to be preserved, just like we see Goshen in Exodus. You see, Old Testament interpreting new, New Testament interpreting old. The full counsel of the Word of God, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. 
and even still in verse 2, no period yet, by which also you are saved if, if, if. Don't forget, this admonition is not excluded. The admonition is included if you hold fast, which is another military term, which is to hold, but then also to retain in memory. Retain in memory, just like the Old Testament, you know, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Remember this, remember this, remember this. Bind this on your heart, bind this on your mind. You see it Old Testament, you see it New Testament. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you. I love this so much. He says, which I preached to you, which is to declare and how it's to be brought and to be shown. That's what Paul did as an apostle. Remember, the disciples, they were disciples. You see the gospels and you have the disciples, but they're not apostles yet. They're disciples. You know, the, the word disciple, it's to be a student, to be disciplined, you know, in this area of discipline, just like you see in academia today. What is your discipline? You see it in martial arts. What is your discipline? You see it in all, in all aspects of our lives, you know, a discipline of fill in the blank. But then what about the application of that discipline? And not just the application of that discipline, at what point, just like in the Bible, at what point does a disciple transition into an apostle? And I don't mean to say, you know, a lot of times people get into these titles. Oh yeah, I'm an apostle. Oh yeah, the apostle this, the apostle that. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about, you know, titles. I'm talking about transitioning from student to messenger. That's what I'm talking about. And, and Jesus Christ says, I send you out as sheep among wolves. You see? Student, disciple, into apostle. And I'm not trying to say that the, the apostleship that we see in the Bible, that, you know, that, that's not just anything to, I'm not cheapening it by saying, you know, to dilute the apostleship of what we see in Scripture. But don't forget, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I'm talking about being a fisherman. I'm talking about being a fisherwoman. Because the people need to hear. Judgment is coming. The people need to hear so that they can make a choice. Now, they make a choice for themselves. But yet, people still need to hear. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken with people that, wow, I've never heard that before. Christians. Well, I've never heard that before. It's not, not to say like, wow, look how awesome I am. Look how, much, look how much you don't know and look how much I know. No, forget that. It's like, wow, you know, maybe they were just like in Corinth where they had like preschool teachers. Their pastor who was a preschool teacher never taught them the deeper things. You know, that's why it's like, wow, when you read the pastoral epistles, Paul's letters to Timothy, Paul's letters to Titus, those who have a responsibility to tend the flock, you see a little difference. It's different. It's a little bit more hardcore because of the more hardcore responsibility. You know, when Paul says their mouths must be stopped, they teach things which they ought not to teach. Their mouths must be stopped. Paul gives qualifications for pastors and elders. Because these are people that have a responsibility to tend the flock and to feed the flock and to tend the flock and to protect the flock. You see? It's so beautiful when you see 
everything, like, it, it, how it just falls into place. Falls into place. Old Testament, New Testament, it's like, wow, you know, this, this is almost exactly the same as, you know, what we see in Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. And it's, you're right. But don't forget, the things in the Old Testament are a mere shadow. The law is a shadow of the things to come. And I don't want any of us to abide in a shadow. I want us to abide in Christ. Not the mere shadow. Abide in Christ. It's so powerful when you see the, this verse 1 and 2 together. When you think about the, 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 the implications of what this means in terms of a deeper, deeper, deeper love relationship with Jesus Christ. Because a lot of times, so you look at verse 1, he says, you know, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received. And people think, okay, that's it. I'm good to go. Yeah, you know, the gospel was preached. I received it. Okay, I'm good to go. But wait a second. Where do you see a period here? Then you see this little building blocks, little process of growth and maturity. Remember, this is the remnant now. The remnant now. The leaven has been dealt with. The leaven is outside the camp. And I don't want to say like the, the leaven has been dealt with, like, you know, the leaven is burning in hell. No, 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 no. The leaven is just outside the camp. That's it. Maybe even within, you know, eye distance where we can look outside the camp and see the leaven. And pray for the leaven. And it breaks our heart. Because they're outside the camp. But who are the ones who are going to go outside of the camp, still clean, still pure, who are the ones who are going to go outside the camp and check, wow, is there leprosy? Do you have leprosy? Do you have leprosy? What if you're male and, you know, it's a female and you're, oh, do you have leprosy? Do you, are you going to be a freak show and do sexual things with that female? No, that's what's happening today. Don't be a freak show. Are you going to be a female? Oh, you know, go to a guy. Let me see if you're still leprosy and be a freak show and do sexual things with that guy. No, don't do that. It's happening today. That's why we make heavy emphasis in the law, in our study through the law, heavy emphasis of saying, do you know how dead this priest must be? Do you know, do you realize how dead this priest must be? To inspect the leprosy. You see? Dead. Crucified with Christ. Carrying your cross. That's how dead you have to be. And it's so beautiful when you see, okay, now, so who are the ones who are going to go and see the, check the lepers? And biblically, biblically, use the biblical qualifiers to say, okay, now let's come back in the camp. You see, oh, you know, you were uh, uh, idolatrous, you were a tax cheat, you were doing all these things, you were, just like Paul says in chapter 5, a reviler, a drunkard, you were, you were all these things, and you're outside the camp, okay, and you've repented of those, okay, let's come back into the camp. Let's get it cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up and, you know, right with the Lord. And praise be to the Lord because He gives His examples of how He works, Old Testament and New Testament. And a lot of times you see verse 1, you say, okay, you know the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, period. People put a period right there. Okay, I'm good to go. 
I received the gospel. I, I'm, I'm good to go. But wait a second. There's no period here. And in which you stand. Remember, this is the remnant. Still no period. By which also you are saved. And then there's this word here, this warning. If, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, you know what's going to happen in the last days? This verse 2 is going to start to erase as we get further in the last days. It's going to erase because people aren't going to hold fast to the word. So it's going to start to dissipate. It's going to start to disappear. You see, And then you're going to see a little bit of verse 1 start to disappear in the last days. People aren't going to be standing. Are not abiding in Christ. And then you get into the end of verse 2, which is vanity. To believe in vanity. He says in verse 2, If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless, here's the admonition, unless you believed in vain. Wow. In vain. Translates in the Greek as without effect. Without effect. You see? This is with, with this is what the result of no obedience. This is a result of not yielding to the word of God. Now remember, Paul is exhorting the remnant in Corinth. What about the remnant today? You believe, you do well, but don't forget, even the demons believe, except they tremble. That's what Brother James says. Don't forget. Now you believe in Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. Now, don't forget this. these components here. Not as works-based. Not as works-based at all. But don't forget these components, which is what? To stand, to abide, to hold fast, to retain and remember the teaching of Holy Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. You see? Paul says, unless you believed in vain. Is it possible to believe in vain? Absolutely, it's possible. Absolutely. What do you mean? Well, that's religion. Religion. Religion doesn't save. Religion doesn't save at all. A personal love relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you have a love relationship with Jesus Christ, you know what happens? Obedience unto Him. I like to think of, you know, uh, do you believe in Jesus Christ? I like to think of it as a sa- another type of statement, which is this. Will you marry me? Will you marry me? Jesus Christ coming to you. Will you marry me? You see? And as... The bride of Christ, which is very forward-looking, understand, because the marriage hasn't happened yet. We are, you know, uh, virgins awaiting the bridegroom. The marriage is coming. But to refer to yourself as the bride of Christ, to refer to one another as the bride of Christ, it's very forward-looking. Because we're virgins today. Virgins, you know, praise be to the Lord, because you think of virgins, it's like, okay, pure undefiled, waiting, praise be to the Lord. And I'm not saying, you know, if you have in your mind, you hear me say these words, and you're like, wow, you know, that I can't believe he's talking this way. You know, first of all, number one, you got to clean your mind. Have a pure heart and a pure mind. You can't be thinking dirty things. 
You know, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Make sure your mind is a clean place. Don't let your mind get off into crazy town. But to be virgins, pure. And I'm speaking spiritually. But yet we're awaiting the bridegroom. Awaiting for his coming because the marriage is, is going to happen. But don't forget that the Bible also says that among the virgins, there are some who are foolish and there are some who are wise. The ones who are foolish, they're going to be on the outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a pretty picture. So you can look at it and say, wow, they're virgins. Praise be to the Lord. But don't forget that as we enter these perilous times, as it gets worse and worse and worse, what's going to happen? There's going to be this division. Well, they're going to be foolish. They're not going to be wise. Wisdom of the Word of God. Virgins who will have lamps. Praise be to the Lord. Virgins that will have oil for their lamps. Praise be to the Lord. Except the foolish ones run out of oil. You see, it is entirely possible to believe in vain. What about, you know, the, the, the leaven that is outside the camp? The leaven from this great division that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. What about them who are outside the camp? Do some of them believe in vain? Well, some of them might might. Genuinely in their heart, be like, wow, you know what, I, 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 I'm sexually immoral. You know what, I'm a drunkard. You know what, I'm a reviler. Lord, forgive me, I repent. And then they're brought back into, in the, into the fellowship. But then there are others who might have a mindset like, wow, you know, Paul is so judgmental. I have good friendships in the church. And you know what, I'm done with this. I'm done with the church. I'm done with Jesus Christ. Well, then their belief that they had was in vain. But then don't forget what Paul is saying to the remnant. Unless you believed in vain. Which means what? Every single day. Our, my pastor in California always used to say, if your position in Christ is, is uh, 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 less than it was yesterday, you're already backslidden. And I used, I used to hate it when he said that. If your position, not position, you know, I mean like, you know, say for example, like uh, a lot of times people, they make an excuse for habitual sins. A lot of it dealing with sex, drugs, and alcohol, which is why I mentioned sex, drugs, and alcohol quite a bit. Big ticket items because it's very common in the church. Very popular in the church. Pornography. Now they have these apps on the phone. You just swipe here and okay, let's meet at this hotel. Let's meet at this motel. You know, do our sexual stuff and boom, nobody has to know. But the Lord knows. Drugs, they hand it out like candy everywhere you go. People are dealing like crazy. Old people, young people dealing like crazy. They have apps for that too. <laughs> it's a wild world that we live in. And it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. 
And it just blows me away so much how the Lord has, is teaching us these things. Showing us, showing us the way, guiding us. No, every day we choose to obey Jesus Christ. Every single day you wake up in the morning, you choose to obey Jesus Christ. You go to bed at night and you might have to do some repenting at night. Lord, I, and I wanted to start off this way and I was doing okay. And, you know, this guy, he just really bugged me. I had a little road, road rage. This old lady cut me off on the freeway. Lord, forgive me. You know, help me. Help me be wise. Help me be smart. Help me not be stupid. And help me leave early so I don't have to be, you know, going 100 miles an hour. Help me be smart so I can leave early. So I don't have to be having, you know, speeding on the freeway and then getting into road rage situations. You see, we give it all to Christ. Lord, I give you that anger. I give you this sorrow. I give you this anger. I give you this temptation. Lord, it's yours. And we learn, we grow. Whatever it is. And so Paul says this in verse 3, For I delivered, to, I, I delivered to you first, first of all, that which I also received. Don't forget, Paul was on the receiving end of God's grace and mercy and his love. And in so doing, he's now able to give. Now, there's no carnality, no hypocrisy with the vessels of the Lord. It's not like, you know, showing favor. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. Paul, James, Peter, they say the same. God is no respecter of persons. Paul was on the receiving end of God's grace and mercy and his love. Now he's on the giving end. And in Paul, there's no hypocrisy. Everything is on point. And when I say on point, I don't mean on point in a worldly sense. I mean on point in accordance with the word of God. He's not saying to people, okay, yeah, go ahead and do your sexual stuff. No, that's what the defunct pastors and defunct elders were saying. Oh yeah, I just I just want to be your best friend. Let's just let let God just love. God will love you know. Let's just I'm just gonna love on you and let God take care of the rest. You know how God took care of this problem in Corinth? He used Paul. A vessel empty of self and full of Christ, full of the Spirit. He used Paul. That's people say that all the time. Oh yeah, let's just love on this. Let's just love on these people and let God take care of the rest. There's this sexual sin in the church. Let's just love on them and let God take care of the rest. Drugs, alcohol. Let's just love on them and let God take care of the rest. But you read the Bible and you see how God takes care of it. He sends the vessels to say, "Hey, this is leaven." Remember to the church in Corinth in chapter five, your rejoicing isn't good. This guy is leaven. This girl is leaven. You get them out of the fellowship and then you then you can rejoice. Then your rejoicing is good. You see, outside the camp, just like in the Old Testament, Israel, outside the camp was what? The lepers. An Old Testament example of unclean. Unclean. And getting ahead of myself but in second corinthians you know paul that paul starts to teach okay bring these people back bring these people back now it's not just a blinded bring them back and back to the way as normal you know but, but i shouldn't say as normal but back to the former ways no don't forget this remnant they're now equipped they're different now that they understand these things they're they're cleansed they've partaken of the communion 
chapter 11. They've partaken of communion. They understand these deeper things. And so when Paul says, you know, bring these people back. Okay, when, when the person is brought back and says, oh, you know what? I'm tempted, to, I'm tempted to do my sex. I'm tempted to do my drugs. I'm tempted to do my crack. Well, now the church in Corinth, this, this former rep, this remnant, of former, you know, out, out of this division, they've grown, they've studied, they've been taught. Now they can tell this person, okay, you're being tempted by crack. You're being tempted by, you know, your sex. Your, your sex. You're being tempted by this. Okay, look for the door. Let's look for the door. You need to look for the door and make that way. The Lord makes a way of escape. Why? Because this remnant is different. They're now equipped. Now, if the guy comes back from outside the camp, they're brought back in. And then all of a sudden, you know, oh, you know what? I'm tempted to do crack. And then this remnant says, you know what? That's right. You know, I'm, I'm tempted too. Let's go do crack. Then you have Levin entering the church again. But no, that's not the case. Or it's, it shouldn't be the case. Then you get back, you know, you get back to square one where 1 Corinthians chapter 5, okay, 11. That's where the pastors are involved. That's where the elders are involved. Keeping the house of the Lord clean and pure. Yes, there are filthy, filthy, filthy aspects of this world. But just like, you know, a, a, a bathing room. You know, it's like, you know, not, not to uh, uh, paint a carnal picture, but, you know, we used to call these rooms the rain rooms. You know, be with a bunch of guys, get out filthy, 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 dirty, and be with a group of guys, you know, all male, everybody male. We used to call it the rain room. Everybody, everybody's dirty and filthy. Then you go into the rain room, and you're in there for a period of time. You come out, and you're not dirty anymore. You're not filthy anymore. Clean. Cleanliness, cleansed from the Word of God, and being kept clean with the Word of God. You see, Paul was on the receiving end of God's grace, and now he's the deliverer of God's grace and mercy as a messenger. He says in verse 3, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You see, everything according to the scriptures. And in verse 5, that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. Peter, Cephas is uh, 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 Peter. Peter. Simon Peter. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Now, you see, Jesus Christ isn't inactive. You see, very active. Just like, you know, in our study in Numbers, you see how the Lord is dealing with uh, uh, Israel at the bottom of the mountain, how he's dealing with, with Israel and how he's moving with Israel and showing them and teaching them and how he's, you know, the people are learning to fear him. But then he's also with Balaam up on the mountaintops with, with, with Balak and, and, and even the Baals are there. The wise men of Balak. And when I say that he's with them, he, he, look, at, look at the oracle of Balaam. Now the problem with Balaam is that it was very short term. 
and it didn't turn out so well in 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 in, in this in the in the, in the aspect of eternity. It didn't turn out well for Balaam. Why? Because he walked away. Instead of walking away from the world, he walked away from God. But the same thing applies to you and me today. We walk away from the world and we abide in Christ. A choice that we make in honor of Him, to glorify Him, to worship Him, to praise Him. But then don't forget Satan's a fisherman too. That's why we abide in Christ. I shouldn't say that's why. I mean, we abide in Christ. Which begs the question, why? Well, never forget paradise, my friend. My beloved brother, my beloved sister, never, ever, ever, ever forget paradise. Things of which we're going to discuss today. He says in verse 6, of whom the greater part remain to this present. So it's, you know, most of them are still alive. The greater part remain to the present. He says, most of them are still alive. But some have fallen asleep, some have died. In verse 7, after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also. This is so beautiful because it's an account of what happened with Paul at the road to Damascus. At the road to Damascus in Acts 9, when Paul was presented with a choice. People say, oh, God made him a Christian. Did he really? You know? Kicking against the goad, that spoken to a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, remembering our study through Exodus. Now, if, if you're listening, you're like, what is this, this guy talking about? Well, when we're done with this message, listen to our message through Acts 9 and you'll understand. You know, we make reference to Exodus. We go back to Exodus. Listen to our message through Acts 9. But in verse, a lot of times people say, you know, oh, God made Paul a Christian. God made him a Christian. But listen to our study through Acts 9. In verse 8 here, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. This is so beautiful. I wonder if Paul just felt out of place. Out of place. You know, if if I ever had the opportunity to counsel Paul, you know, wishful thinking, you know, and not, not just wishful thinking, but, you know, almost preposterous thinking. But I would say to Paul, Paul, no, God's timing is perfect. God's perfect. God's timing is perfect. And then I'd give him a holy kiss, just like we studied in Romans 16. You see? As one born out of due time. I wonder if Paul felt out of place. In verse 9, for I am least of the apostles. You know, there's heavy emphasis here on the least. In the Greek, there's heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis on the least. He's like saying, you know, I'm small, I'm least, but micro. It's like the, 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 the micro, at the micro level. That's how I'm, I'm the smallest, not just the smallest, I'm the tiniest. Not just the tiniest, I'm the, the microscopic of the apostles, of the messengers. Remember, first the, the disciples. First disciples. Who am not worthy to be called an apostle. That's, that's Paul, what he thought of himself. Not even worthy to be called an apostle, an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. 
because I persecuted the church. I persecuted these people who I love so much, these people who I'm pouring into, these people who you know I'm left for dead in, in, in Ephesus and all these different places. You know, I'm left for dead. They beat me. They throw rocks at me. They throw stones. They do all these things. They make fun of me. They Whatever. And I'm doing it for these people. I'm doing it for the Lord, but these people whom I love. And I would be anathema from Christ for the sake of my countrymen. I would trade me for my countrymen. That's what Paul says. And yet, because of his former behavior, persecuting the church of God, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. Paul's pain. Paul's pain. It's it's so beautiful. So beautiful. What the Lord can do. In the heart of a person, in the heart of a man, in the heart of a woman. Now, I'm going to say something which is kind of... I hope it's not difficult to grasp and maybe I can explain it, but... There's a beauty. There's a beauty to past wickedness. Emphasis on past. But there's a beauty to past wickedness. And when I say that, you know, it's... To have, to behave in the carnal nature and to have wickedness in your past, sometimes that's the very thing which helps you drive forward, push forward. I mean, if you've had, all they're of the, the most beautiful men I know in Christ, the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful men of whom I would give, you know, the holy kiss that Paul mentions in Romans 16, I would gladly give. Gladly give. No no carnality, no worldly, none of that. But the holy kiss, these are beautiful, beautiful men. 100% of them. 100% of them, meaning all of them, have Violent histories. A lot of sex, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol. And they have the bodies to prove it. Heavy drug use and they have problems in the flesh because of past usage of hard drugs, hard alcohol. A lot of sex, the womanizers. Wicked, 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 wickedness. But then it comes true. It brings to, brings to the forefront the scripture. To those who have been forgiven much, they love much. And these are people who have denied those things of the past. And not just denied those things of the past. It's like, it's disgusting to them. You know, no way, I'm not going to do the sex anymore. No way, I'm not going to do the drugs anymore. No way, I'm not going to do the crack anymore. It's like the very thought of those things just brings, like, you want to vomit. The very thought of such behavior, it repulses you. It's just so disgusting. Because of the past wickedness, which emphasis on past. And that's, that's what I mean when I say the, the beauty of, of past wickedness. I'm not saying, you know, wickedness is beautiful. It can be in, in terms of that aspect of it. 
escaping the fires of hell. But when you think about the fires of hell, think of it like propulsion. You see like a rocket ship go off in the air, go off into space. You see that. But when it's on earth, you know what you see? You see this big explosion on the ground, this huge, you know, this plumes of fire, this, this smoke, everything, because that's the very propulsion that sends it off. And you, when you think of your past wickedness, maybe it's the enemy that brings up your past wickedness and you're kind of like down in the dumps. You're like in the doldrums of life because you're like, oh man, I did this, man, I did that, I committed that. It's one thing if you're committing those things. But when Satan is saying, you think God can use you, you think you're righteous, you think that all these things, it's like, no, you know, my righteousness is filthy rags. But Satan is, you know, the oppression, the demon, you know, the, the pneumos, the aspects of the pneumos. Heavy, heavy oppression. But you think of those flames escaping the fire and you use that as propulsion just the same way the fire is the propulsion for the rocket ship. You be the rocket ship. You see? Just like Paul here. I'm not worthy, he says. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You know, imprisoning men, women, and children. Not just imprisoning, but having them killed. Having them killed. A people that he would gladly die for. A people that he would... Even his own countrymen, he says, you know what? I would gladly trade me for them. To be anathema from Jesus Christ for the sake of my countrymen. That's what he says. Think about how dead that vessel must be. I would rather burn in hell so that you can live with Christ. That's a different guy. That's not Saul anymore. That's not the Saul I know. That's not... Who is this guy? I heard that he did this. I heard that he did that. Who is this guy? Well, he's not Saul anymore. He's Paul. The apostle. An apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says of himself, I'm I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He was there at the stoning of of Stephen. Don't forget, he was there at the stoning of Stephen. And that that alone is a, a pretty violent event. I mean, we read that in the Bible, okay, you know, uh, this guy was stoned. You read that, we see that in the Old Testament, this guy was stoned. But that's a very violent event. I mean, it's one thing to get hit with a stone. You could probably survive by one hit with a stone, depending on, you know, if it hit you in the arm, it hurt. If you hit in the shoulder, it hurt. Maybe if it hit you in the head, it'll hurt a lot. You might survive. But that's just one stone. What about stone after stone after stone after stone after stone? Your skull is going to crack. Your skull is going to crack and become concave. You're going to breathe your last. It's a very violent thing when you see the stoning. And Paul was there at the stoning of Stephen. That's just Stephen. Think of what his eyes has seen, have, had, had seen. At his approval. At his, uh, at his approval and at, at his 
desire. Remember, he would go into certain synagogues and say, you know, go to the high priest and say, give me the authority to round up these Christians. Give me the authority. He went to, to, the, to the high priest and says, write, draft this letter for me. Write me this letter so that when I go into these synagogues, I have, they know that I have your authority to round up the Christians, the people of the way. He had the letter, he had the document, and that's what he was doing. Just to go round up Christians so that he can kill them. Have them imprisoned, have them beaten. Think of the things that he had seen. The persecution of the saints. Think of the screams that he heard. Not just screams like, you know, a shout, you know. I'm talking about screams of terror. From men. From women, from children, screams of terror. The sound of screams and terror, it's, it's different. Think of those things that he heard. The work of his hands in his old nature. The steps of his feet in his old nature. He says, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. Because I persecuted the saints. I persecuted the church. Wow, it just blows me away. Now, this, remember in our study in the book of Acts, we'd always say, you know, this is a different guy. This is a different bear. He's not like the average bear. He's a different animal. Remember? Remember when the apostles and some prophets and some prophetesses, they were, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. You know what Paul did? He went to Jerusalem. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was. And when he wasn't in Jerusalem, you know who was with him? Jesus Christ. Remember the red letters? We studied that. Everybody was saying, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. And yet Paul was such a different animal that he went against the grain of the apostles. And he went to Jerusalem. Does that mean that the uh, apostles were disobedient? Does that mean that Paul was in greater statue than the apostles? No, Paul says, I'm micro. I'm not even apostle. Like I'm micro. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Think of these memories. That's what I mean when I say there's Beauty to wickedness, the past wickedness. Godly men, 100% of the godly men I know. 100%. There's not a lot. I know there's a lot, like, you know, but the ones I know personally, there's not a lot. 100% have terrible, terrible pasts. Wicked, disgusting pasts. You see? And there's beauty to that. Not the act of the wickedness, but that it being in the past. And these men are different. Wow, that guy's different. He's not like how he used to be. The very thought of those things, the very thought of the drugs, the very thought of the sex, the very thought of the, uh, of the alcohol brings tears to their eyes. Because they remember the works of their hands, the steps of their feet. You see? Now, if you are a person in wickedness, 
I say men, but that's just me personally. There's women too. Women too who are doing the drugs, the sex, the alcohol. Beautiful, beautiful titans of the faith. But if you're not a believer and you're caught up in the lifestyle of wickedness, believe in Jesus Christ. You put wickedness in your past and that only happens through Jesus Christ. Only happens through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. You hit pause and you listen to a message, how to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Then you come back and you hit play and you listen. And Paul says this in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says, I love this verse so much, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, me personally, not that I'm adding to scripture, but as a little quasi-addendum, I like to say, by God's mercy, I'm not what I was. By God's grace, I am what I am. By God's mercy, I'm not what I was. That's the dead guy. That's the dead guy. That's the old nature. The violence, the rage, the sex, the alcohol. That guy is dead. You see? You reckon your old nature dead. The old man, the old woman. You reckon your old nature dead. I don't care what it was. What in your back? Your murder? Drug? Drug deal? Whatever it was. Now, you might have to reap what you have sown. You come to Christ. You call the cops when you're done. And say, okay, I confess. I did this murder. Then you go to prison. You can start your prison ministry. I mean, you know, grow in Christ. Don't be a novice. And bring others to Christ in prison, but free. I'm not saying, you know, oh yeah, you know, you, you come to Christ and then, you know, we're going to harbor you. No, this is this life. We're, we're not, this isn't paradise. We're not in paradise. People who think, oh yeah, I'm free, I'm free. No, slaves to sin. Look how free I am. I can go do my crack whenever I want. Look how free I am. I can, you know, free sex wherever, free drugs wherever. I, you know, uh, no. That's a slave to sin. But there is freedom in Christ. I don't know. I don't care where you are. Freedom in Christ. Not enslaved to sin. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. If I were to add commentary on that, I'd say, by God's mercy, I'm not what I was. And his grace toward me was not in vain. You see, God doesn't make mistakes. He knows exactly what he's doing. If ever in your mind you think like, wow, God made a mistake with me. You know what you say? You say, I I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ because that's a demonic attack. That's Satan. If you open yourself up to the pneumos. Oh, God made a mistake with me. No, you say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. Because that's Satan. That's a demon. That's the pneumos. That's evil. God doesn't make mistakes. His grace toward me, Paul says, was not in vain. And his grace towards you, my friend, my beloved brother, my beloved sister, his grace toward you was not in vain. 
Paul says this, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Labor here, he says, I labored is to toil hard with pain and fatigue. To toil hard with pain and fatigue. I wonder what Paul's sleeping habits were like. <laughs> I wonder. Because, I mean, you reread the book of Acts, and it's like, wow, he's going all over the place, town to town, teaching all night long, nonstop, you know, no sleep. The guy who fell asleep and fell out of the window. And you think like, okay, we better wrap this up. Everybody's tired. Look, Paul, this, it, it's getting so out of hand now, Paul, that this guy, we, we thought he died. And so, okay, let, we better wrap things up. Paul says, no, I'm going to keep teaching. Wow. What, Paul, you're going to keep teaching? I have to yield to the Spirit. And so I have to pour into you. You know, it's not like, you know, accolade everywhere. You get applause. Wow, Paul, look how awesome you are. No, he's the first to deny that. How can he not but speak? How can he not but teach? That's how empty of self he is. You see, everybody, you know, he's done teaching. It's morning now. He's done teaching. Maybe some people went to sleep. They're like, wow, I pulled an all-nighter. I'm going to go to sleep. What does Paul do? Next town. Do it again. You see, making tents during the day. Selling his tents. He gets money and he provides for the, the people that were with him. Okay, this is our meal for today. We're going to eat here. Have your meal. You see, he worked hard. He toiled. That's what he's acknowledging here. Not to acknowledge himself. Not to exalt himself. But he's making a statement here for a purpose. For the exhortation of this remnant in Corinth to teach them. He's stating it. So we reflect back on our study in Acts and we see the, the, the hands and the feet of Paul. And you remember the hands and the feet of Saul and what they committed. But then after the Damascus road, his encounter with Jesus Christ and the Lord gave him restoration and the Lord did a mighty renovation in Paul. And you see the works of the hands and feet, not of Saul, but the works of the hands and feet of Paul because the old nature has been reckoned dead. So we look at the works of his hands, the steps of his feet, and how he's you know, making the tents and teaching all night, doing all-nighters. And you know when that town is done, the next town, just riding the wave, so to speak. But meanwhile, also writing letters. Also writing letters to the church in Corinth. He's in one town. A runner comes up. Hey, Paul, we got this notice from the, someone in the house of Chloe. Oh, look, it's signed by these people. They're in the fellowship of Chloe. Paul gets it, reads. Wow, okay. Okay. Okay, now we got to write a letter. So maybe instead of one night doing an all-night, an all-night sermon, he's doing an all-night letter. Writing all night, okay. I heard that there's this among you. Your rejoicing isn't good. And then, you know, he continues on. Chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. He continues on. 
So when you see the... I don't like saying big picture because a lot of times people just use that as, a, as an excuse. But when you see that big picture, <laughs> of what the Lord is doing through Paul as a vessel, it's, then you understand when you see in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You're like, whoa, God's grace is mighty. Just in Paul, what about God's grace inside of you? What about God's mercy bestowed upon you? And Paul says, I labored more abundantly than they all. It's not boasting at all. But you see Paul's teaching, his preaching, his persecution, the tents that he made, his writings, his sermons at night, all-nighters. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. Yet not I. Look at how empty he is of self. But the grace of God which was with me. You see? That's why we have to be very careful with the Christian duty. Oh, it's my duty to do this. It's my duty to do this. You know what's better? Be empty of self and full of the Spirit. You know? As... New wineskins, it's only new wineskins that can hold new wine. Only. Only. You cannot be old wineskin. Old wineskin is ill-equipped. Ill-equipped to hold new wine. You must be new wine, a new wineskin in order to contain new wine. And once you're full of new wine, you know what happens? It pours out. Think of all the gushing of new wine that the Lord was pouring into Paul. Because you look at, wow, wow, look at what he was doing in Acts, going from town to town to town, teaching from people to people, different people going into synagogues, reasoning in the synagogues. And not just that, they would beat him. Kick him out of the town, chase him out of town. And not just that, t teaching the all-nighters. And not just that, writing letters. All about the Lord's business. You see? Oh, but he was a tent maker. That was his profession. Yeah, but for the advancement of the kingdom. You see? People think, you know, okay, I'm going to serve the Lord, so therefore I'm going to uh, uh, quit my job and then I'm going to do this full time for the Lord. But look at Paul. Look at Paul. Look at, I like to see Paul and, and Barnabas as like a business owner and an investor. <laughs> You know, Barnabas who had the properties, selling one, selling a property and giving 100% of the proceeds to the church. And Paul, the tent maker. I'm going to make tents. You know, did he make tents so that he could amass all this wealth and have his house on the Palisades and house in Boca and, you know, a house in wherever? No. It was for the advancement of the kingdom. The purpose be very careful with Christian duty because herein lies the carnal nature. Oh, it is my duty. I'm not going to do this because it's my duty. I'm not going to do this because it's my duty or I'm going to do this because it's my duty. Be very careful with that. You know what's better? To empty yourself of self. Empty yourself of self. 
and allow the Spirit to do His thing inside of you, to do His work inside of you. The Lord pouring new wine into new wineskin. Because you're going to labor and you're going to toil. And if it's all about Christian duty, I'm doing my air quotes. You can't see me, but if you're seeing me, you'd see my air quotes. I'm doing my little, you know, the finger air quotes. If it was all about Christian duty in air quotes, you're going to poop out. You're going to steam out, run out of energy. Because it's very, it's carnally driven. You might say, well, it's spiritually motivated. Okay, spiritually motivated is fine. It's beautiful. But it's carnally driven. What's much better is to be spiritually motivated and spiritually filled. New wine, gifts of the Spirit. You reckon the old man dead? You reckon the old woman dead? And you know what? Put on your seatbelt. Put on your seatbelt. Because that rocket ship is going to launch. You see? Paul says, I labored more abundantly than, all, than, than they all, Paul says. Not exalting himself. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. It's the work of the Lord. A lot of times people look at ministries like, wow, this guy's such a great teacher. This guy's got such a great ministry. This lady does a great ministry over here. This lady does a... But I wonder... If any of these vessels would say, look, it's not me. I wonder which among these vessels would say, it's not me. It's the Lord. I'm micro. I'm, you know, little tiny micro. Little tiny piece of microscopic grain of sand. It's the Lord. You go to Him. Look what happens here in verse 11. Therefore, whether, whether it was I or they. I love this because you see no pole positioning here. Whether it was I or they. Regardless. If it's me or if it's them. Regardless. Now, I have to say this. Remember, it's the same spirit. Paul is speaking about the apostles. You know, who's better? James, Jude, Peter. Who's better? Paul. No. That was the, that was the carnal nature of of which Paul says in chapter three. You guys are babies because these disputes. These disputes are you still not carnal? He says, when he also says they're babies, they're on milk. These dissensions that arise now. Remember, it's the same spirit. He's not saying you know. Uh, there's this guy who says he's an apostle. He wants to go grave soaking. There's this guy you know. He writes a book about crazy love, and he partners with these grave soakers. Condones the grave soaking. Does all these things. And you know what? It, whether it was I or they, no, he doesn't say that. He's referring to the apostles, holy men, the same spirit. Because you know what's going to happen in these last days? Church unity. I have air quotes. Church unity. And the church unity of the last days is a trap. The church unity of the last days is a trap. I'll say it a third time. The church unity of the last days is a trap. Because... You have the Episcopals, the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Catholics, Protestants. Oh, yeah, you know, we're one. Church unity. Yes, we're one. What does the Bible say? Come out of her. 
come out of her. Perilous times. He says, whether it was I or they, so we preach, so we preach, and so you believe. You see, God is at work. God is at work. Paul even says of himself, yeah, you know, I, I labored more abundantly than, than they all, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God, which happened to be with me, you know. With carnal eyes, we see Paul. With carnal eyes, we see whatever vessel. With spiritual eyes, eyes to see and ears to hear, we see Christ. Christ in Paul. God's grace with Paul. And so he says this in verse 12. Now, now if, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, raised from the dead, how do some among you, remember, inside the church, this is the remnant. Remember, the leaven has been dealt with. The leaven is outside the camp. So he's speaking to the remnant now. And he says, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, this is the influence of the Sadducees because the Sadducees believed in no resurrection. That's why you see a greater population of Pharisees who became Christians because they were open to this concept of the, uh, the resurrection. And I shouldn't say the concept of the resurrection, but they were open to the reality of the resurrection in accordance to the gospel of Jesus Christ because as Pharisees in the law, they were more open to the resurrection. The, the Sadducees are, nope, there is no resurrection. That's what the Sadducees, you know, no resurrection. That's Sadducees. But you see Pharisees. In the book of Acts, remember we studied the, the Pharisees, people who were Pharisees? And they were inside the church. They were Christians because they believed. And one of that those stepping, stepping stones to help them believe was their understanding and their belief of the resurrection. And Paul says this in the church. How do some among you, remember the remnant, say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But, if there is, you know, I love this so much because it's like math. It's like math, you know, like, you know, if this, then that, or, you know, you programming, coding. You know, if you set up these parameters, if this, then that. That's what we see here. You see biblical math and coding here in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Now, we see like, wow, Paul, how can you even say that? Now, if, if following the logic of, you know, these people who are, you know, th these people who, who are saying there is no resurrection of the dead, influenced by the Sadducees, influenced by the ways of the world, influenced by Corinth. And among this remnant, there are some who say, yeah, there is no resurrection. And Paul, okay, let's follow the logic. Let's follow the logic of, you know, bad theology to show that it's a bad thing. You know, someone says something that's against Scripture. Okay, let's follow the logic. Hebrew Roots Movement. Oh yeah, Hebrew roots, we're, 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 we're in the new covenant, but let's go back. Let's have a deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding and a deeper love for the Lord. And let's go back to the law. Let's abide by these things in Leviticus. Okay, let's follow that logic. 
Don't forget that, you know, those who live by the law also die by the law. Don't forget that. And you follow the logic of the Hebrew Roots Movement, and what do you see? Evil. Evil. Because it's the abandonment of Jesus Christ. The abandonment of God's grace and mercy in accordance to the New Covenant. Same thing here with the resurrection. People want to believe there is no resurrection. People say there is no resurrection. People among the remnant say there is no resurrection. Okay. Okay. Let's follow that logic. Verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Boom. Right there. Of course, Christ not being risen is a fallacy. Which means what? So is there is no resurrection of the dead. The math doesn't equate. It does not compute. Verse 14, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Wow. Remember, let's follow the logic. Let's see if this bad theology matches Scripture. Okay, you want to go grave soaking? What does the Bible say? Let's follow this logic of grave soaking. Let's follow this logic. You say the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit, which, has, which was at work in this, uh, this, this guy who's now dead. He's now bones and dirt in the ground. And you want to lay on his grave so that the Holy Spirit can come out of the grave and into you to soak it in. Number one, what is the Holy Spirit doing in the grave? Let's follow this logic of grave soaking. You want to write a book about crazy love? And condone grave soaking? Say that it is a good thing? Okay, let's follow the logic. What's this? You want to say it's okay to take the mark of the beast? Not just say that it's okay. You want to teach to go ahead and take the mark of the beast? And you'll still be saved? No big deal, Christian. Okay. Let's follow the logic. Let's see what the Bible says. You see? That's what Paul's doing here. Let's follow the logic. You want, you want to say there's no resurrection? Okay. Okay. Let's follow that logic. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Okay? Doesn't match Scripture. Next. And if Christ is not risen... Then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Doesn't match scripture. Remember, you are he's writing a letter to a people of faith, and he's saying their faith is empty. If, if Christ is not risen. Okay, doesn't match. Let's follow the logic. Where does this math equation lead to? You know, if this, then that. Where does this, this computation, where does this coding lead to? Okay, let's follow the logic. Yes. And if we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. Remember, we're following the logic. God didn't raise him. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. Remember, bad theology. Bad theology begets bad theology. And bad theology begetting bad theology also begets bad fruit. Bad theology, begetting bad theology, begetting bad fruit, begetting more bad fruit. 
begets death. Now, this is if there if there is no resurrection. And Paul is following the logic of these people who are saying there is no resurrection. That's all he's doing. Nothing fancy at all. And speaking about the resurrection, I'll put it in another term. Rapture. Rapture. You see? I'll explain that further. Remember, raising up. Raising up. Putting on the corrupt, putting on incorruption. The mortal, putting on immortality. For if the dead, he says in verse 16, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not not risen, your faith is futile, pointless, pointless. It's, It's meaningless. That's what he's saying here. You are still in your sins. There is no atonement. That's... If, in fact, the dead do not rise. Because remember, there are people inside the church, inside Corinth, this remnant, who say there is no resurrection. So what are they doing? What Are they are they seeking after religion? Do they just want to appear right before men? No. If there is no resurrection, you boil things down step by step by step by step. That's what Paul is doing here. He says, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. There is no atonement if there is no resurrection. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. It's it's, it's it. You know, that's what the atheists say. That's what the agnostics say. You die and that's it. You go, you, that's it. You're done. That's if there is no resurrection. We're just following the logic. That's it. And then here in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Paul says here, we are the most pitiable. Because remember, he's been beaten. He's been left for dead. He's been made fun of. He toils and labors. And all that is for nothing. That's what Paul is saying here. Because if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. That's if there is no resurrection. And he says this in verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead. I'll say that again. But now Christ is risen from the dead. As surely as the Lord lives. The resurrection is real. It is true. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the first fruits. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 20. Now, turn with me really quick to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. 
over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This is the millennial reign, this thousand years. This is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. What we see here in uh, 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 Revelation chapter 20, actually verse, uh, let's look at verse 4. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I, saw the, and I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their forehead. Now you see, there are some people who say it's okay to take the mark of the beast. What do I say? Don't take the mark of the beast. Read Revelation 14. Never, ever, ever take the mark of the beast. I don't care. Some guy has a study Bible. I don't care. Don't take the mark of the beast. Had not received the mark on his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And so what do we see here? But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. You see, the first resurrection, of which Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Very important to understand. Very, very important. Now, you see, if we look at verse 4, it says, Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Now, verse 4. Verse 4 becomes impossible according to the pre-tribulation rapture theory. Verse 4 becomes impossible. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. How is this possible if the pre-tribulation rapture were true? And their witness to Jesus for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark. How is this? How, how is this possible? If the pre-tribulation rapture were true. Oh, you don't understand. Those are the tribulation saints, people say. Those are the tribulation saints. And for the Jews who accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Okay. Okay. If that's what you say, let's follow that logic. He says in verse 5, But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and Christ and, re and shall reign with him a thousand years. Okay, so now that the Bible says that this is the first resurrection, does that mean that there are two raptures? One that happens before the, 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 the 70th week of Daniel? And then there's another? Because what's common today is people are starting to say that, 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 that there are phases of the resurrection. Phase 1 was Christ, what we're, what we're reading in 1 Corinthians 15. Phase 2 is the rapture of the church, which is pre-tribulationary. This is according to their theory. And then the next phase is the, the uh, tribulation saints. And then there's another phase for the Jews. That's what they're starting to teach. Instead of abandoning pre-tribulation rapture theory, because it doesn't line up to Scripture. You see, let's follow this logic. 
Now, if you're a pre-tribulation rapture person, if you, if you believe that the rapture is going to happen before the 70th week of Daniel, I don't hate you. But does it align with Scripture? The answer is no. It does not. And I've debated. I've, deba- I've been in debates with the theologians, the, the, the degreed people, the masters in theology. And you, you, can't, you can't find it. A lot of times they get mad at me. Most of the time they get mad at me. You can't find it. Why is it? I'll say this again. I said it on Wednesday, but I'll say it again. This is my strong conviction that I believe the greatest threat to the church today comes one of the greatest threats, if not the greatest threat is the pre-tribulation rapture theory. Because it's setting up people for their falling away, a great falling away, which is prophesied. All these things are happening. We're not supposed to be here. I thought the church, my pastor said, we're not supposed to be here. And since since my pastor said the, Bible, the, the, the since my pastor said that uh, we're not supposed to be here and you know and I believe what the pastor says and the Bible says that we're not supposed to be here therefore the Bible is fake so I'm going to fall away and go back to the crack go back to the drugs go back to the sorcery go back to the sex go back to the whatever the Bible is fake Jesus Christ is fake the great falling away that's why I say there's One of the greatest threats, if not the greatest threat, is the pre-tribulation rapture theory. Because it doesn't equip the saint. You see? Oh, but the word church isn't in in, in Revelation. After chapter chapter 4, the word church isn't in, in, in Revelation. Therefore, the church has been raptured. Judgment comes first in the house of God. The church has been judged. Look at the church today. Look at the state of the church today. Pastors, pastors, the shepherds. Having sex with the sheep, with the flock. And yeah, you know, they step down once they're caught. But what about when they're not caught? Sheep number one, number two, three, four, lambs. Youth pastors having sex with the lambs. An abomination to Christ. The state of the church. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, look at what happens here when, you know, in, in verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I love this so much. We talked about this on Wednesday too, the first fruits. Very important to understand the entirety of Scripture because there are Old Testament implications to these New Testament uh, promises, these words that, it, you know, remember, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What Paul is writing here, inspired by the Spirit, aligns perfectly with the prophecies in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah. Joel, Hosea, aligns perfectly. 
in verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. For since by man came death. Now, this is Adam. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Now, every single person is born into Adam. Okay, you, uh, a brand new baby girl, brand new baby boy, born into the ways of Adam. That's death. That baby is going to die one day. That baby is going to grow up old and die one day. Or maybe die prematurely and die at age 50 or 40 or 30. I don't know. But that baby is going to die. In accordance with being born into Adam, the flesh. But there's hope for that baby. There's hope for that individual, which is what? Being born again. Being born again unto Jesus Christ, which is life. You see, in the Old Testament, look at the promised land. It was the second generation that entered the promised land, which we're about to hit on Wednesday. We're going to look at death that happens in the wilderness, the final death before the second generation, the second census. The second census. The first census which you don't see women there. The second census, you do see women there. You see females. No females, first census. And what do you see? Death. The second census, what do you see? Females. And that's the, the, sense, that's the group that goes into the promised land, which they die. The first generation has to die. An Old Testament example of death in Adam, in the ways of Adam. And then also the second generation, that's an Old Testament example of you and me being born again and entering Paradise, the promised land. And in Christ, there's no male, female. Slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, in Christ. You see? First census ex had exclusions. The second census no longer had those exclusions. Why? An Old Testament example of circumcision of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Now, the flesh still has to be dealt with, and the flesh is dealt with through the law. I'm not advocating the law, but understand that the law is a shadow of the things to come. You see, the second generation which enters the promised land. For you and me today, it's our second generation which enters the promised land. Not in accordance to the flesh, but in accordance to the spirit. In accordance to the flesh, that's death in the wilderness. That first generation cannot enter the promised land. You're born into Adam. You cannot enter paradise. You cannot enter paradise in, a, in the ways of Adam. It requires, you have to look for the door. And the ways of Adam dies as you reckon the old man dead, as you reckon the old woman dead. The ways of Adam dies in the wilderness. And then you're born again in Christ. Not born again into Adam. You were already born into Adam when your mother gave birth to you. It just so happens that today's Mother's Day too. But you were born into Adam when your mother gave birth to you. Born into Christ? You need to look for the door, which is open, currently open. 
But the Bible teaches that in the last days, it's going to start to close and close and close and close and close. And finally, it will be shut. The fullness of the Gentiles. Listen to our study in Romans 11. The fullness of the Gentiles, and then the focus is going to go back to the Jews, and the blindness in part has come to the, to the to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. Now the Jews are going to start to believe in Jesus Christ. I think it's going to come at a very terrible cost because they're going to believe in the Messiah, a false Messiah, which is the Antichrist. They're going to believe in, you know, the, uh, the, the, the son of David or the return of David. That's what's going to happen. But to understand what the scriptures say in accordance to the prophecies, in accordance to the promise. Being born into Adam is also being born into death. You need to be born again. Now, let's continue. In verse 21, For since by man came death, by man, notice the capital, and I read out of a relatively modern, I mean, in accordance with, you know, the fourth uh, uh, century, a relatively modern, uh, new, new King James, not super modern, because the super modern, uh, you know, a little side note, the modern translations of the Bible, the, the really, like really modern, like in the, within the last, I mean, look at the copyright date of your Bible, because the modern translations are making a lot of omissions. They're, they're being homogenized to the ways of the world, um, taking away the male attributes, the male nature of God, of certain things. Instead of a promise to a son, they're making it unisex. It's not good. It's not so. Keep that in mind. If you if your Bible is getting old and you're in the market for a new Bible, you probably have to buy a used Bible. I mean, one that's been you know old school, not the new stuff. The new stuff is entering into crazy town, but it is prophesied to happen. So verse 21, for since by man, lowercase m, came death, which is Adam, by man, uppercase m, also came the resurrection of the dead. You see? So, yeah, there are people of the remnant who are saying, yeah, there is no resurrection of the dead. There is no resurrection of the dead. I don't know what Paul's talking about, but there is no resurrection of the dead. So Paul catches wind of it, says, okay. If there is no resurrection of dead, then if, then if this, then that, if this, then also this. It got to the point where your your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Your sins haven't been forgotten. That's if there is no resurrection. You see? But now Christ is risen from the dead, he says in verse 20. In verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. This is why we abide in Christ. We don't abide in the law. That's a shadow of the things to come. Because if you're in order to abide in the law, in order for that to happen, you have to leave Jesus Christ. I mean, Go outside, maybe not at high noon. Go outside at like 5 o'clock at night or 8 o'clock in the morning where, you know, wherever the sun is. Say the sun is at a distance but at the side angle. Two people go out outside at 
nine in the morning or five o'clock at the six o'clock at night, go outside and stand there. You person one stand and cast a shadow and then have person number two, whoever it is, go stand in the sh- Maybe they're standing on your head, you know, the shadow of your head and make them stand on your shoulders. Now, do you see what's happening there? In order for that person to stand in your shadow, they can't embrace you. They can't be close to you. They have to be away from you. The law is a shadow. People say, oh yeah, Hebrew roots, Hebrew roots, Hebrew roots. Let's go, let's go abide in the law. Let's get closer to Jesus. Jesus Christ was Jewish, so I want to live like a Jew. I want to live like what is written in the law. But since we know that it's a shadow of the things to come, do that little example. Go outside, 5 o'clock at night, 6 7 o'clock at night. Depending on where you live, hopefully it's not very mountainous. Just at any time of day where you can cast a big, a long shadow. And then tell that person to go stand on your head, on the shadow. Tell that person to go stand on your shoulders in the shadow. And then, and then observe Look at what's happening. And then tell that person, hey, I don't want you to leave where you are on the shadow, but I want you to hug me. No. It can't happen. It can't happen. Because the law is a shadow. And since we know the Bible says the law is a shadow, What happens in the course of time through the Old Testament? That shadow becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller till it's like high noon. Why? Because unto us a child is given. Boom. Shadow gone. You see? Now when the shadow's gone, high noon... Now you can embrace. Now you can hold. Now you can abide together. That's why Jesus Christ says, Abide in me and I in you. The two becoming one. Go out in the morning. You have kids? Go out in the morning. Teach them a little Bible lesson. Eight in the morning. Nine in the morning. Cast a shadow and then... Tell your child, okay, go stand on my head, the shadow. And say, okay, don't move. Stand on my head and try to embrace me. You can't embrace me. You see, that's the law. Then go out at high noon. And you say, look, where's my shadow? There is no shadow. Can now embrace me. Okay, there. You get to embrace That's God's grace, mercy, and love that we have in Jesus Christ. There's tricksters today. They say, okay, you know, Jesus Christ was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. Therefore, let's let's follow the law. Let's adhere to the law. A lot of them are perverted because they they like things about the law. Someone says they're a leper. They like this. They want to say, okay, let me inspect your leprosy. When they're not inspecting your leprosy. I mean, the leprosy. They're they're looking at other things. 
oh yeah, the law says, you know, if you're unclean, then we got to treat you this way. So let me inspect your body, make sure you're clean. A lot of perversion in the Hebrew roots movement, a lot of perversion, especially when it comes into concubines. A lot of, a lot of perverts like the Hebrew roots movement. Why? Because they're perverts. You see? Wickedness, wickedness. They might come to you and say, oh yeah, Jesus Christ was Jewish, the apostles were Jewish, but in their heart, they're pervs. Pervs, sickos, freak shows. And they'll use the Bible to get you to be in the shadow. What do I say? Don't be in the shadow. Be in Jesus Christ, abide in Christ, and He in you. Don't listen to the perverts. Don't listen to the freak shows. You see? So look what happens here in verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, Christ the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming, at his coming. You see, turn with me really quick to to, to, to uh, um, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. A little refresher course because we've studied this already. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he, had, he was taken up and a cloud received him. Notice the cloud here. The cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white, impar- uh, in white apparel. These are the angels of the Lord who said, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up, taken up from you. This is the resurrection. Taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner. Remember the cloud will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This is the first fruits of the resurrection. The rising of the dead and then the resurrection being caught up in the clouds. You see? That's what, that's what the Bible says. People say, oh yeah, there is no... People say today there is no resurrection. There is no resurrection. Okay. Oh, there is no rapture of the church. There is no rapture. It's false. Okay. You want to... Let's follow the logic. If there is no resurrection, and just like Paul says, if there is no resurrection, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Oh, but I'm Hebrew roots. There you go. (laughs) You see? Hebrew roots according to the Pharisees or Hebrew roots according to the Sadducees? Most likely Sadducees. Both are wrong. I'm not saying one is better, but there's a little easier door to go through if it's Pharisaical. But if it's Sadducical, that... That's a great chasm to pass. Oh, I'm Hebrew roots. You know, Jesus Christ was Jew. The apostles were Jewish. So I want to study the Jew. Okay. Do you just believe that because this guy said that? Or are you actually proposed? Are you the proponent of such a thing? You see? A lot of perverts. A lot of perverts. Perverts. Sickos. Freaks. Freak shows. Straight up disgusting minded people, men, carnal men, wolves, snakes, they like the Hebrew roots. Why? Because they're perverted. They want to say, oh yeah, let me check your leprosy. 
oh yeah, you know, the, the, uh, the Jewish ways, you know, uh, the ways of the law, uh, multiple wives, multiple concubines. Why? Because they're freak shows. They proclaim truth, but they teach poison. Come out of her, my people. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Actually, really quick, let's look at Luke. Luke chapter 20. Luke 20. Luke 20, verse 35. But those who are, who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. These are things of which Christ speaks of, of which Paul, through the Spirit of our Lord, also affirms that Christ is the first fruits in our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, says it specifically in verse 23. You see, everything aligns perfectly. Everything aligns perfectly. What what Paul is saying aligns, aligns with what the Lord revealed to John in Revelation. What Paul is saying aligns perfectly is what, what, with, with what is written through the prophet Isaiah, the same spirit. Remember, chapter 14, 1 Corinthians, verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Never, ever, ever forget that because in the last days, there are going to be a whole lot of false teachers, a whole lot of false prophets. And what are they going to be doing? Presenting a whole lot of false Christs. It is written. It will happen. But there's going to be a little bit of real teachers, real prophets with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they're going to be teaching men of understanding. We kind of touched on it on Wednesday. Septuagintly speaking, the unicorns, <laughs> the ox, the oxen, you see. God has appointed these things to happen and it will come to pass. But the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Everything will align perfectly. Somebody says, let's go grave soaking. You know what? No. Why? Why don't you want to go grave soaking with me? You're so mean. You're such a legalist. Why don't you want to do crack with me? You're, so, you're such a legalist. Why don't you want to do this sexual stuff with me? Oh, you're such a legalist. Why don't you want to get drunk with me anymore? Oh, you're such a legalist. People throw out that term legalism as an excuse to so they can be more comfortable with their own disobedience. Now, there is legalism, but I find the ones who throw that word out loosely, they're making an excuse for their own sin rather than deal with the sin. Rather than kill the Amalekite, they want to be like Saul and keep the king of the Amalekites alive. They don't want to be like Samuel who slaughters the king of the Amalekites. You see, Old Testament interpreting the new, new interpreting the old. Oh, you're such a legalist. 
Ask them. Somebody says you're such a legalist, say how? Ask them, point blank. How? Tell me how I'm a legalist. Well, you don't want to do crack with me anymore. That's legalism. You see? Why do you call me a legalist? Oh, you don't want to drink this. You don't want to get drunk with me. You don't want to drink this alcohol. You don't want to go to the strip clubs with me anymore. You don't want, you know, you get mad at me when I cheat on my taxes. You get mad at me when I do, say these little white lies. When I do my little white crack, I do my little white pornography. You get mad at me. You're such a legalist. That's legalism. You see, oh, there, there's a fine line between obedience and legalism. No, there isn't. It's, it's it's quite I mean it's it's easy to see I mean it's like black and white there's maybe there's a like a maybe it's little for you because you have one foot in the church and one foot in the world you know what that means you're divided and a house divided cannot stand a heart divided cannot stand you are lukewarm that's what the Bible says. When somebody says, you're legalist, you're so legal, just ask them point blank. Tell me how. Tell me how. And it could be that, you know, maybe it's a brother or sister who says, hey, you're legalist. And you say, tell me how. And then they start to say, you're like, okay, maybe I'm a, <laughs> maybe I'm a little legalist. You see, that's a brother, that's a sister that you, you know, that's like not a friend. That's like a brother or sister. That's beautiful. Fellowship of the saints. But you like to look at the fruit too. Examine the fruit. You know, somebody who's strung up on crack. Somebody who does the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and all these things. Oh, you're such a legalist. That's like in one ear, out the other type of stuff. I can't listen to that. Look at the fruit. I look at the fruit. You're a basket case. I'm not going to listen to you. But then a Paul, a Peter, a Chloe comes in your life. A Phoebe comes in your life. Hey, you know. That's kind of legalist. Show me how. Show me how. How am I a legalist? Say, well. And you start to realize, okay, maybe. Maybe I am. Let's look at what, you know, these are very important. As we get further into the events of the last days, we have to understand these because mockers are going to arise in the last days. False teaching will be put to the test. And it will fail. Now, when false teaching fails, if these, the, the risk for the Christian is that these false teachings will pull them with them, pull them with the doctrine. I'll give you an example. Pre-tribulation rapture. Say I'm like hardcore into pre-tribulation rapture. I've been taught it my whole life and I believe in it and all these things. And all of a sudden, I start to see things happen in the world. It's like, wow, we're not supposed to be here. This world leader is rising up. Wow, this mark of the beast system is being established. And, you know, there's these people are getting this, these tattoos on their hands. People are getting these uh, implants into their hands so they can be, which is happening in Sweden. I mean, look at the news. It's happening in Sweden. Like, wait a second. I thought the Bible says that I'm not supposed to be here. So now that this false teaching is being exposed, and now that it's failing the test of real scripture. You know, if I hold on to that doctrine and it fails, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to fall away. You see, 
So when I say it's important for us to understand these things, it's yes, it's for our for our sake, for your sake, into our journey into paradise. But also, as Brother Jude says, to rescue people, to save people, as through fire. It's for them, so we can be fishers of men, fishers and of women in the last days, wise too. Because you know what's happening today, in the persecuted church. They, they, everything they do is underground. In the, I'll give you an example of what's happening in North Korea, in, in African nations. And it's, gro- it's growing. Arab countries, it's, it's, it's growing because the underground church, the church is doing things underground. They're using the dark web. They're doing things. I mean, the dark web is notably for like very evil, evil things. But you're starting to see the church having their fellowships, their meetings. It's all underground. It's on the, the dark web. They're meeting in secret. And they're still being fishers of men because they want people to come to Christ in the the Great Commission. And they're being obedient to the Lord. But I'll tell you what the bad players are doing. They catch wind. Oh, my co-worker's a Christian. But really what they are is they're either government spies or they are spies of a religious group. And they say, oh, yeah, you know what? Tell me about the gospel. So the Christian who meets underground says, okay, you know, let me tell you about it. Let's go meet in secret. Let's go meet. Let's go in this, you know, let's go sit on that park bench where there nobody's there. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And then the person fakes it and says, okay, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I receive Jesus Christ. And now that Christian who meets underground says, okay, we meet underground. And this is where we go. Be here at this time. And that person goes, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm a brand new Christian. They go to that church. They meet underground, and what they're doing is they're gathering intel. This is the pastor. This is the elder. You know, they mark them. And then the government finds out. They report to the government. They report to the whatever faction. And usually it's government, but it's also other religious factions, which is also tied to the government in some countries. And they mark these people. Okay, this is the pastor. He works over here at this office and, you know, that's his day job, And but he's a pastor. And then they make their mass arrests. In some, t- in, some, in some cases, they do their mass killing. The church meets underground, everything in secret. And this person who pretended that he or she was a Christian comes with their cohorts. Sometimes it's to make arrests. Sometimes it's to do a killing. And what do they do? They go for the pastor. They go for the elders. They start to, you know, they start killing Christians. That's what's happening in the underground church. I teach from America and we're trapped. I say trapped in this America bubble. It's, it's causing us to fall asleep. Pray, pray, pray for the persecuted church. So yes, we have to be fishers of men, fishers of women, but we also have to be very, very, very wise. Very wise. Redeeming the times, understanding that these days are evil. So, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. At his coming. You see, 
just as we look at the resurrection in Revelation 20, just as we look at the the revelation, the, the resurrection in Revelation 20, the resurrection in Acts 1, the resurrection in Luke 20. In verse 24 here, 1 Corinthians 15 says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and and all authority and power. This is a future event. A future event. Prophetically speaking, this is a future event. Look at Revelation 11. Turn with me really quick to Revelation 11. And in Revelation 11, verse 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Do you see? The kingdoms of this world being given over to the kingdoms of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Just... What Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15 aligns with what John is saying in Revelation 11. Why? Because it's the same Lord, the same Spirit, which is also the same Lord and the same Spirit, which revealed to the prophet Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born. This prophecy has been fulfilled. In Isaiah's days, Isaiah's day, this wasn't this wasn't fulfilled. It was a pending prophecy. For unto us a child is born. That was pending for Isaiah. But the same spirit was still revealing it to Isaiah. The spirit of our Lord. Unto us a son is given, fulfilled. And the government will be upon his shoulder. This is pending. This is pending because the governments aren't placed on his shoulder. Now, my government, your government are placed on his shoulder. So this is pending globally, but this is fulfilled for you and for me because my government, your government is Jesus Christ. We are governed by God. Just like just like Jacob. Jacob in Genesis, how he'd always say, the God of my father, the God of my father, the God of my father. He wrestled with the Lord and the Lord changed his name. You are no longer Jacob. You are Israel, governed by God. And then Jacob started saying, the Lord my God. Instead of the God of my father, the Lord my God. Because he's governed by God. So, verse 6 here, the government will be upon his shoulder. My government is on him. Your government is on him. If you believe. And not just if you believe. Just like that equation we looked at in 1 Corinthians 15. Believe, abide, retain, remember. Abide in Christ. Don't be in the shadow. Be close to Jesus. You're so so close that you're, you know, abide in inside him. And he in you. That's how close. Unity. Oneness with him. The government will be on a show for you and me fulfilled. For the world pending. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. This is fulfilled for you and me, but it's pending for others. We have to be wise fishermen, fishers of men. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. This is pending. This is pending. Remember our study in 1 Corinthians 13, how prophecy will end? 
Well, these things that we're reading, verse 7, the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Well, this will be fulfilled. This will be history one day. Just like for, for Isaiah, for unto us a child is born. That was a future event. But for it's history now because Jesus Christ has been born. It's history now. But for, is, for Isaiah, it was the future. But the same thing is going to happen with the government. When the government is handing over to Jesus Christ, it's going to be history because it will have been fulfilled. That's why Paul, inspired of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 13, prophecy will fail because there's going to be no need for it. In verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over Jerusalem. You see? Uh, or, uh, uh, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. The throne of David, that's the Jews. If you're Jewish and you're listening, what is commonly taught is that David will return. But even David in the psalm says, the Lord said to my Lord, how could David say such a thing if he acknowledges the triune nature of God, Elohim? The Lord said to my Lord. If David were to return, how could he say it in the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord? No, he's acknowledging God the Father and God the Son. God the Father and Jesus Christ. He's acknowledging Yahweh. And Yeshua, the Messiah. Not the return of David. Not, you know, two messiahs. One messiah, two comings. He came the first time. And he's coming again. That's if you're Jewish. Or if you're caught up in the Hebrew roots movement. You see? These are things upon the throne of David. This is Jerusalem. Look at Jerusalem today. Look at Jerusalem right now. A troublesome stone indeed. A cup of trembling. The cup of, of drunkenness. Just as the Bible teaches. The spirit of the prophets, subject to the prophets. What do you see today? The cup of trembling. A cup of drunkenness. Satan knows these things. He doesn't want you to believe it. He knows it. He knows Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He doesn't want you to believe it. And over his kingdom, he says to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. This is pending. Today, it's grace and mercy. Remember, order. The order that we see today, it's spiritual. That's why you have Paul establishing order in Corinth. And not just order in Corinth, order in the homes, order in the hearts. You know, if you're married, this is what the marriage looks like. If you have kids, this is what order looks like in the home. Now you go to church, this is what order in the church looks like. Establishing order where there, where there was no order with the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. But under this umbrella, this beautiful, beautiful, uh, I shouldn't say umbrella, covering. Under this covering that we have today in Christ, it's grace, mercy, love. It's entirely spiritual. But one day it will be physical. 
when God comes to judge. Jesus Christ comes as the Lion of Judah is to judge. From that time forward, even forever, this is pending. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It will come to pass. These things written, it will, they will be history. For Isaiah, when he prophesied of these things, they were all a future event. But just make it a checklist. Look at chapter verse 6 in, in, in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Like, like a little check mark, okay? Child is born. Check. Fulfilled. Son is given. Check. Fulfilled. The government will be on his shoulder. Do a little check because, you know, if you're abiding in Christ, okay, the government, my government, you know, my life is governed by Jesus Christ. Your life is governed by Jesus Christ. So check. But for your neighbor, no check because he doesn't know Christ. She doesn't know Christ. In order for that happen to happen, you have to be a fisherman. You have to be a fisherwoman. And then her government, his government will be on his shoulders because they are now governed by Christ. But it's going to happen on the world when the governments are given over to the, the kingdoms of this world are given over to the kingdoms of, of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdoms of the world giving over to Jesus Christ. There's more that needs to happen. The new Jerusalem, the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. Even that will be history one day. But love never fails. Remember, love never fails. So all these things, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, when the, the, the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. These are all future events. Jesus Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection. You know, blessed, he, blessed is he who has his part in the, in the first resurrection. In, 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 uh, uh, in, in Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. You see? The pre-tribulation rapture. Oh, we're not going to be here. We're not going to be here. We're not going to be here. These are sowing seeds for the fulfillment of the great falling away, which I don't want to happen. I don't want my brothers and sisters to fall away and to become apostates. I don't want that to happen, but it's prophesied to happen. It will happen. Which means what? You and me, we have to be ready. We have to be equipped. Because we might be catching little minnows today. Little rainbow trout today. But tomorrow, sturgeon. Tomorrow, tuna. Tomorrow, great white sharks. Sperm whales. Look at verse 25, 1 Corinthians 15. For he must reign. This is the thousand, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. See here, millennial reign, that's a thousand years. A thousand years. No, millennia, a thousand. So but the millennial reign, ruling for a thousand. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. All enemies under his feet. That the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Now, Turn with me to uh, uh, Revelation 20. Really quick, Revelation 20. We'll go back to Revelation 20. We were there already, but let's read it again. Revelation 20. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is, is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's the millennial reign. 
aligns perfectly with what Brother Paul says here in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 15. Everything aligns. What the Spirit is giving to Paul is aligning perfectly with what the same Spirit is giving John. You see? Perfectly. Because the Spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets, which aligns perfectly with what Isaiah writes or has written. But verse 7 here, Revelation 20. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. So he's back to his same. He's going to be released and he's back to the same old tricks, which is deception. Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the brand, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and be, and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of out of heaven and devoured them the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are this is from revelation chapter 19 verse 20 these are the the beast and false prophet they were cast into the lake of fire and now here in revelation 20 revelation 20 verse 10 the devil joins them. Satan now joins them. It's this unholy trinity. Remember, everything is faux, fake. Satan tries to mimic God because we have Elohim, the triune nature of God, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does Satan have? There's the devil, there's uh, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. He tries to fake. Everything's fake. Everything's fake. It's not real. So now there's a uh, cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another, and, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave them up and the dead who were in it and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see what's happening? Satan knows these things will happen. Satan knows these things will come to pass. Satan knew unto us a child was born. Satan knew unto us a child would be born. So what did he do? Hey, Herod killed this baby. Remember the wise men came? And then they were kind of tricked. You know, tell us, where is this child? Where, is this, where, where was this child born? Where is this child going to be born? It was a trick. Satan wanted to kill Jesus Christ. Remember? Kill all the babies. Kill all the babies. Just like what happened with Moses. Kill all the males. Praise the Lord for the God-fearing wet nurses. The God-fearing midwives. You see? Because the order of Pharaoh killed the baby boys. 
Kill the baby boys. And Moses was saved. Just like in Jesus' day. Kill the baby boy. No, Jesus saved. Tell us, tell us where the, this king of the Jews will be born. Satan knew the prophecies. He knows the prophecies. He wants to prevent this from happening. Satan knows that there's a chance. If you're a non-believer, Satan knows that there's a chance you may believe. Satan knows that you were born into Adam. And there's a chance you might be born into Christ, born again. And he wants to prevent that from happening. Satan knows he's going to the lake of fire. And he wants to prevent that from happening. You say, wait a second, once saved, always saved. I I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. Boom, my name is written in the book of life. I'm good to go. Really? Verse 15 says here, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I'm good to go. I'm okay. My name is in the book of life. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. Okay. Okay. Turn with me really quick to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verse 18. For I testify to everyone who hears. So very interesting. Everyone who hears. Very interesting. So a person who has ears to hear. They they hear. They read. They hear. They, they keep. Just like we studied on Wednesday. Everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. So ears to hear. Praise be to the Lord. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to them get God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book, you see? And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. Whoa. Whoa, wait a second. A name is in the book of life and then all of a sudden the Bible says here that God shall take away his part from the book of life. Absolutely. But my pastor says that's impossible. That's nice. I don't care. What does the Bible say? Oh, but my pastor has taught me my whole life that, you know, once saved, always saved. That's even worse because he's had all this time to repent and teach truth. But no, understand names can be removed from the book of life. God shall take away his part from the book of life. You know what that says to me? Don't don't mess with God's word. It's much better to abide in Christ when the word became flesh. Oh, that's too hardcore. That's you're such a legalist. No. It is written. God shall take away his part from the book of life. This very statement inspired by the Spirit John is just a vessel. Names. The Holy Spirit testifies. Names can come out of the book of life. Which kind of raises the stakes a little bit. If you're playing games with God's grace, it raises the stakes a little bit. Cut it out. Don't play games with God's grace. Oh, I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. Praise be to the Lord. Put down the crack pipe. Put down the sex, put down the drugs, put down the alcohol. Lay aside those things which so easily ensnare you and move on to perfection. Run your race. You see? 
God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, comma, and from the things which are written in this book. Whoa, I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to me. So what does that say to you and me together? Let's not play games with the word of God. Let's not take advantage of God's grace. Let us be a people, a people of the way, who lays aside those things which so easily ensnares us and let us run our race together. We don't have to sprint. We're going to pace ourselves. Why? Because we're not going to be short-term believers like Balaam was. We're not going to believe for five months, five years, or five decades. We're going to believe to the very last breath. He said, Does, did we cease believing then? No. Because we move on to paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 26, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under his un, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who puts he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, it's very important to understand there's a lot of he's here. A lot of he's here. Now, this is uh, Paul is quoting from the Psalms. Understand, you know, if you're Jewish, if you're Jewish and you're listening or you've fallen into the Hebrew Roots Movement and you're listening, even David says, the Lord said to my Lord. The Lord said to my Lord. Remember, speaking about this Messiah, the Lord made him in accordance to David the psalmist, a little lower than the angels, which aligns perfectly with Hebrews chapter 2. He's a little lower than the angels. You see? Now he's exalted, but when he, his earthly ministry, a little lower than the angels. But he's exalted at the right hand of God. It's not two messiahs. It's not the return of David, you know? David said, the Lord said to my Lord. Even David acknowledges, even David testifies. The, the Messiah who you think is coming even acknowledges God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son. One Messiah, two comings. In verse 27, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he, this is God the Father, says all things are put under him, this is the Son, Jesus Christ, it is evident that he, the Father, who put all things under him, the Son, is accepted. This is ektos in the Greek, ektos. This is outside and aside. I'll give you an example. Say you are, say you are CEO and chair, okay? You, you, you're CEO and chair of a company. And you're getting old. You decide, you, you decide to wind things down and, you know, step away. You decide to... Uh, step aside, you know, you, 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 and say I'm a director, okay, in your company. I'm a director in your company, and you decide, well, you know, I, I'm going to retire now. I'm going to step aside, and who am I going to put in charge? Okay, you're in charge. So now I become CEO, okay? I'm your director, and the reason why you chose me is because I'm obedient to you. That's why you chose me. I'm obedient to you, and so now I become your CEO, not, not your CEO. I become the CEO, 
and I become, you know, formerly the director. And now you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to step aside. I'm going to retire and I'm going to take this guy and he's going to be my new CEO. Okay. So there we go. But you didn't just retire. You retired. But you're no longer CEO, but you're still, you're on the side, but you're still on the board. You're still chair. Which means you have share. Say you're the majority shareholder. You still call the shots. And as the CEO, listening to the majority shareholder, I have to do, you know, I kind of have to do what you say. Otherwise, you oust me. That's, that's a worldly example of what is happening here. In this obedience of Jesus Christ unto the Father. Remember, Lord, Father, take this cup from me. Father, take this cup from me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood, Father, take this cup from me. The acknowledgement of what he was about to experience. When he was made a little lower than the angels, and he says, but yet not my will, thy will. Father, thy will be done. I'm going to endure these. I'll endure these things in obedience to you, Father. Crying out to the Lord, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His obedience. Now, it's not to say that God the Father is excluded. No, He's still included. Jesus Christ sits at His right hand. That's what is written here. In verse 27. When you look at all, it's kind of think of it like that CEO example. You're still chair. You're still majority shareholder. You know, I've been obedient unto you. You hired me on, you're obedient unto you. Now you want to retire and do these things? Okay, now, now I'm the CEO. But you're still majority shareholder. We have the meetings, do all these things, and you know, exact same concept. No, not exact, but you know, very similar concept. I say these concepts to, to help you understand verse 27. But he goes further in verse 28. Now, when all things are made subject to him, the son, then the son, the son himself will also be subject to him, the father who put all things under him, the son, that God may be all in all Elohim, the triune nature of God, God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit, and also Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. This is why, you know, when you look at order in a church and order in a home, there's a lot of studies that we have about submission. But submission has very much deeper implications. You talk to children about submission unto parents. Oh, I don't like to submit. You know, my dad's this. My mom is this. I don't want to submit to them. I don't want to submit to her. I don't want to submit to him. But it's much deeper than the aspect of submission. It's, it's not seen with human eyes. It's not understood with carnal ears. But is understood spiritually. With eyes to see and ears to hear. It's much deeper than the act of submission. A wife. Oh, I don't want to submit to my husband. I don't want to submit to my husband. Why? Well, because my husband's a crackhead. My husband's an alcoholic. My, okay, you submit to Jesus Christ, your better husband. But you hold on to your husband with one hand and with your other hand, you hold on to your kids. 
You might save your husband and you're going to save your, you're going to save your kids, but you might save your husband too. You submit to your better husband, which is Jesus Christ. But then a wife who says, I don't want to submit to my husband. Why well, I don't want to submit to my husband. Why? Oh, because my husband, he's God fearing. He's obedient to the Lord. Well, okay. That's a pride issue. You need to submit to him. Humble yourself and submit to him. Oh, but I don't want to. I don't want Okay, that, that's pride then. That's the Jezebel spirit. That's pride. It's one thing if you can't submit to your husband because he's a crackhead, he's a sexhead, he's this, he's that. He's, you know, wants to go worship Buddha. Wants to go worship Satan. Is, you know, is apostate. You submit to Jesus Christ, your better husband, capital H husband. You still hold on to your husband. But you hold on to your children and in so doing, you can save them. But a wife who says, yeah, I don't want to submit to my husband. Why? How come, sister? Well, he fears God too much. He's obedient to the Bible too much. He yields to the Holy Spirit too much. Okay. There's an, the, the issue isn't your husband. The issue is you. You see? But it's not just the act of submission. That's kind of like the, the carnal way of looking at it. Let's read verse 28 again. Now when all things are made subject to him, the son, then the son, the son himself will also be subject to him, the father, who put all things under him, the son, that God may be all in all. It's much deeper than the act of submission. That God may be all in all. You see? Pastors too. Pastors in submission to the lowercase p, pastor, in submission to the uppercase p, the head of every church, which is, which is Jesus Christ. A lot of pastors like to get on a high horse. Oh, you submit to me. You submit to my authority. You submit. They're missing the point. Yes, submission is good, but if you look at it from a carnal aspect, okay, you know, like, you know, like, like, um, robotic, Oh, I'm going to be a robot. You know, the pastor says, submit to me, so I'm going to submit to him. I'm going to be a robot. So the pastor says, I got to submit to my husband. The husband has to submit to Jesus Christ. Kids have to submit to the parents. Okay, let's be robots and let's do this. Okay. That's, that's not a good approach. It's not a healthy approach. I mean, there are... It's a good model, but it's not a healthy approach. The healthy approach is to understand why. So that God may be all in all. The desire of the Lord. Emmanuel. God with us. Elohim. God the Father, Son, Spirit. With you. It's not, I mean, yes, it's, there's submission. And yes, it's, it's, it, there's the, it's about submission. There's this aspect of, okay, it's about submission. But it's much deeper than what the large, large, large majority purport it to be. There's a lot of robots out there. A lot of Marthas out there. Not a lot of Marys. Fewer Marys than Marthas. That God may be all in all. Pastors who like to get on their high horses. Oh, you submit. You submit to my authority. It's, it's, 
submission, it's about submission, but it's deeper. It's not the robotic way. It's not the Martha way. It's much deeper so that God can be all in all. Relationship. Look at a flashlight. Say you have a flashlight. Each battery in the flashlight represents one person. Say you have a flashlight with uh, one battery. You're a single. Single male. One battery in your flashlight. You turn it on. Okay, it's on. Light works. You, the battery gets old, runs out of power. What happens? You know, recharge. Recharge. Steady diet of the Word of God. Recharge your batteries so that the light doesn't go out. Okay, now you're single male. Now you get married. You get married to a a, a Catholic woman. Okay, I don't care what she looks like. You get married to a Catholic woman. Well, now you turn on the light, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Why? Well, you got the wrong battery. Instead of a double A, you, you, you got a triple A. It doesn't work. Does that mean that you know the light bulb works fine? The flashlight works fine. The problem is the battery that you chose. See? Okay, so now you got a good battery, you know, and not that I mean say not that okay, that's one example. The next example is a a, a guy who got married and now married a Christian girl. Or Say, for example, okay, let's go back to the Catholic. <laughs> Not like, you know, get rid of the AAA and get a AA. No. So now, because that flashlight has issues, it doesn't work anymore. Now, that AAA needs to be turned into a A, which means that the husband needs to be a fisher for his wife. And so now that wife becomes a Christian, you know, Lord willing, Becomes a Christian that the husband persuades her to believe, just like Paul. You know, you like with a, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. There's these giftings, the moving of the Holy Spirit, and understanding how the Spirit works. Yes, faith is a gift, but also the Holy Spirit gives gifts in order to teach and equip, in order to have this knowledge for the sake of teaching and equipping. Multifaceted aspect of the Holy Spirit. In the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now the battery works again. Now the AAA is now a AA supernaturally. Now a AA and the battery work. The, the, the batteries work now. There's power in the batteries. And now the flashlight works. You hit the on button, everything works. Now you have kids. Now you introduce a whole new ball game. Now you add a third battery. And Lord willing, that third battery is going to be AA. But maybe the little kid becomes a crackhead. Now you have like, you know, a little 10-year-old who's dealing drugs. No, it's like, okay, no more bad, wrong battery. No power. So a lot of times in a carnal mindset, people think of submission like, you know, submission like, oh man, I got to submit to my parents. Oh man, I got to submit to my husband. Oh man, I got to submit to Jesus Christ. But it's much deeper than that. That God may be all in all. His desire for Emmanuel, God with us, God with you. He wants you to have power. He wants you to have oil in your lamp. He desires you to have oil in your lamp. Batteries for your flashlights. He desi- because he knows things are going to get dark. He gave us the blueprints of what to do when things go dark. He gave us the blueprints. 
Now we, we just let the blueprints, blueprints sitting on the counter are blueprints sitting on the counter. No, action is required. Now, are we saved by action? No, we're saved by grace. But are we stupid and do we leave the blueprints on the counter? No, there's a house that needs to be built. The Lord's house in the Lord's field. Who are the workers? You see, everything starts to align when you examine scripture, examine your heart and understand that there are deeper implications, not only to submission, that's just obedience in other aspects of our lives for the rest of our life. Not short term, long term to the death. Much deeper implications. That God may be all in all. In verse 29, otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Remember, people were saying, oh yeah, there's no, there's no resurrection. And Paul following the logic, okay, okay. If there is no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. Christ is not risen, then your faith is empty. And if the faith is empty, then you know, your faith is futile. You're, you're, you're still in your sins. He's still making the point. He's still making the argument, no, Christ is risen from the dead. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And the same way he went on a cloud, he ascended into heaven on a cloud, he's going to come down on a cloud. You see? And remember in Luke 20, Luke 20, verse 35, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. You see, wise virgins. Wise virgins, not the foolish ones. Not the non-virgins. Virgins, and not just any virgin, wise virgins. Sons of the resurrection. You see, how beautiful is when you see all that the Lord has done. <laughs> and some are still pending and what he's doing. And maybe if you're not a believer, what he's doing right here, right now, chipping away at your doubt, the Holy Spirit chipping away at your doubt. So now maybe it's like, wow, you know what? I never heard it this way. I never heard it explained this way. Or maybe if you are a believer and you've been playing games with the Lord. Wow, I've never heard it this way. I always thought Christians were crazy. You know what? I'm in the same boat. I think there's a lot of crazy Christians out there. That has nothing to do with Jesus Christ because we follow Him. Oh, I don't want to believe because of the hypocrite Christians, the hypocrite pastors, the carnal pastors, the pastors who do their drugs, the pastors who do their sex, the pastors who, uh, I don't want nothing to do with that. You know what I say? Praise be to the Lord. Me need, I want nothing to do with that either. There's a better way. Let's get in the boat. Let's get in the ark. Come on, let's go. Walk with me to paradise. To paradise. Look what happens here. In verse 29, Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Question mark. Why then are they baptized for the dead? Remember, 
all in all, what, 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 what is written in, in, in verse 28, that God may be all in all. All in all happened for Jesus spiritually, spiritually, and physically. He's, remember, spiritually, you know, you see his, when he says, I and my father are one. You know, and father, you know, take this cup for me. Yet not my will, thy will. You see the, the spiritual aspect of Jesus Christ, his relationship to his father. But then it also happened physically for Jesus Christ, son of the most high. This is my son in whom I am pleased, in whom I am well pleased. And then you see the ascension of Jesus Christ taken up in the clouds. Taken up in the cloud. For you and me, it's spiritually, in Christ, it's spiritually for now. But one day, one day it will also be physically in our glorified bodies. When you put off corruption and put on incorruption, one day, it's still pending for us. What was pending for us is now fulfilled for us, which is spiritual birth. What is pending for many can be fulfilled for them. If you tell them about the good news, if you tell them about Jesus Christ with wisdom and truth, not a sales pitch. A lot of people turn the gospel of Jesus Christ into a sales pitch, but what does the Bible say? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God into salvation. Oh, but this guy is so eloquent. This lady is so eloquent. I don't care. Does he have the spirit of the Lord? Does she have the spirit of the Lord? Have you ever listened to an incredibly boring orator? Incredibly, incredibly boring. It's like, whoa, like this is a snooze fest. But then you start to, you just clear your mind and you listen to what he or she has to say. And as, you know, if you're female, you listen to what she has to say. If you're male, you listen to what he has to say. I'm not saying, you know, men subject yourself to women pastors. A lot of churches today are ordaining women pastors. Why? Because of the zeitgeist. They yield to the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. They yield to the pneumos, the spirit of the age. They're losing the spiritual war. And in so doing, you have apostasy entering the church or the church entering apostasy, which is prophesied. But a boring orator, you're listening. And then you clear your mind and you still listen. And then you realize, wait a second, this is powerful. Yeah, he's boring in the flesh, but everything he's saying, this is like, I've never heard it said like this before. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. In vessel number one, Communicating to vessel number two, which is you. That's new wine pouring out from vessel number one into vessel number two. I don't care about skilled orators. I don't care about, you know, people who turn the gospel of Jesus Christ into a sales pitch. I don't like it. Because it's, it's the carnal nature. They're appealing to the carnal nature. 
No, I like the spirit filled. I like the new wine. That's where the life is. That's where the life is. That's where the living water is. You see? You see, look what Paul says here. Why then are they baptized for the dead? In verse 30. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Why do we stand in peril and danger and risk every single hour? You know why? Satan. Satan never wants people to know these things. He never wants people to know the truth. And so just as he tried to oppose Moses, just as he tried to oppose Jesus Christ, the birth, you know, unto us a child is given, he tried to prevent that from happening. Yeah, unto us a child is given, and he tried to kill the child with the vessels that he uses. Not filled with the Holy Spirit. And he also tried to stop Paul with the vessels that were not filled with the Holy Spirit. He also tried to, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour, Paul says. Don't forget, Satan tried to oppose him. Satan tried to stop him because he knows he knows that you, he knows that mankind were born into Adam. And he wants us to die and perish in the wilderness. He knows. If you're a non-believer, he knows. Satan knows that you were born into Adam. I mean, we all know you were born. We were born into Adam. We all know it. And the only way into the promised land is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And Satan wants to prevent your entry into the promised land, which is paradise. So what will he do? What does he do to you? What does he do to you? Let's look at Luke chapter 8. I'll tell you what he does to you. Actually, I'm just the messenger. It's the Lord who teaches us what Satan does. Luke chapter 8. In verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. So the seed goes into their ear holes, they hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. That's what Satan does. That seed, if you're a non-believer, this is the seed by which is entering your heart right now. Right now, the seed is entering your ear hole and what is happening when it enters your ear hole? What is happening? If you're a non-believer, this is what is happening. The devil comes and takes away the word out of their heart. That is what he wants to do. That is what Satan wants to do. Will you let him? Because he attempts that. He wants to do that. Because just as is written here in verse 12, lest they should believe and be saved. He doesn't want you to have salvation. He wants you to die in the wilderness, in the ways of Adam. He, he knows we're all born into Adam, and he wants to keep you born into Adam. He doesn't want you born again into Jesus Christ. Because that's the only way to paradise. That's the only way to the promised land. Death has to happen in the wilderness. I mean, being born again requires your death of Adam. But he doesn't want you to make that choice. He doesn't want you to choose Jesus Christ. He wants you to die in the wilderness without Jesus Christ. But then, 
in verse 13 in Luke 8. But those on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while. Short-term believer. Short-term believer, just like Balaam. Short-term believer. Name, I don't know. In whatever way, shape, or form, it says, and in times of temptation, they fall away. So they believe, name in the book of life, and then they fall away, name out of the book of life. You see? Oh, but once saved, always saved. I don't care. I don't care what anybody told you. I, we go by what the Bible says. We go by what the Word of God says. But I was taught once saved, always saved. That's nice. What does the Bible say? Because the Word of God is our authority. We submit to Him, the Word of God. The Word became flesh. That God may be all in all. We choose submission unto the Word of God. Not the submission to a pastor. I mean, submission to a godly pastor, a real pastor, in accordance with what you... Since I said it, I'll say it. I don't like to say things and just like leave it at that. I, I want to say things and, you know, you read it so that we understand. So in Hebrews 13, verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give, give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for me. So yes, submission unto a pastor is good, but choose your pastor wisely. <laughs> choose your pastor because there's a lot of freak shows out there. Pastors who say, oh, yeah, let's do Hebrew Roots Movement. Why? Because they're perverted. They want to, oh, yeah, I want, I want to inspect the lepers. You see? Freaks. Freak shows. Don't submit to the freak shows. And so look what happens here. Going back to Luke, uh, Luke 8. In verse 14, now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity, no growth. It's like, it's like the Corinth, the problem in Corinth, babies forever. No, when you're a baby forever, what happens? You're choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. There's no maturity, no fruit being brought to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience, you see, endurance. Not for five days, not for five years, to endure for the rest of your life. So what is the condition of your heart? Is it the wayside? Is it the rock? Is it the thorn? Or is it good ground? Understanding that Satan wants you dead. He doesn't want that seed anywhere near your heart. Now the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 29, Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm. Now this is heavy emphasis. He's like, like, like I, I swear, I affirm. It's heavy, heavy emphasis in the Greek. I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ. Like rejoicing by the rejoicing I have in you. The bo- the rejoicing in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily Paul says I die off is how it translates in the Greek I die off daily understand understand that the frequency of death 
is directly proportionate to your growth in Christ. I'll say that again. The frequency of death is directly proportionate to your growth in Christ. You want to play games with God's grace? Do your sex, your drugs, your alcohol, your whatever. Oh yeah, I'll take advantage of God's grace. God will always forgive me. You're going to have arrested development. And the risk of arrested development, I mean, that's not good. I mean, we see when when the Lord cleans house using the, the vessel Paul in Corinth. But what happens when there is no growth? That's thorns. That's the seed among thorns. Which here, and then they go out and are choked with the riches and the pleasures and the cares of life and bring no fruit to maturity. That's not good. That's seed among thorns. That's not good ground. Seed among thorns is not good ground. Seed on the wayside is not good ground. Seed on the rocks is not good ground. What is the condition of your heart? Is it good ground? I pray it's good ground. But you have a choice to make. Here in continuation in 1 Corinthians 15... For Paul, his dying off was every single day. In what ways can you and me die every single day? You see, die off daily. Whatever, whatever works of the flesh, walking according to the flesh. And how, in what ways can you and me together die off to where we shed those things of the flesh? We reckon the old man dead, and I'll put it another way. We carry our cross. You carry your cross, I carry my cross. You get weak, I help you. I get weak, you help me. Uh, People of the way, traversing our way through the wilderness. To paradise, not aimlessly. To paradise. It would be aimless if, you know, if there were no resurrection. And Paul says, let's follow the logic. If there were no resurrection, if there were no rapture of the church, the first resurrection, of which is a pending promise to us, it will be history one day. But currently it's pending. It's not aimless. There's an objective. Paradise. The promised land. But the first generation must die. The second generation must live. The first generation, that's Adam. Of which you and me are born into. We're born into. But we were born again. If you're not a believer, be born again. Hit pause. Listen to the message. How to be born again. How to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Or how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Listen. And you pray the sinner's prayer. People get mad. Oh, the sinner's prayer, that's easy believism. What's so hard about believing? Oh, you got to say the catechism. The catechism is wrong, doctrinally. Where do, you, where do you see in the Bible the catechism? Where do you see in the Bible the catechism? It's not in the Bible. Oh, but I want people to believe. We need to have people know what they're believing, know what they're committing to. Listen, when you, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you have no idea what you're getting into. <laughs> you have no idea. I mean, 
with the apostles, with the, with the, with the, <laughs> with the apostles, with the prophets, you know, they had no idea what, do you think John had any idea he would be thrown into tar to, for him to die? Do you think Peter had any idea that they want him dead? Paul, do you think they had any idea? Do you think he knew that he, you know that he would work unto the Lord and, and, and be obedient unto the Lord to his death? What about you? You're a believer today, and you think, oh, there's if you're like me, there's no way I'm gonna be a pastor. There's no way I am so close off to being a pastor. I am I'm not this. I'm not even gonna think about it. And yet here we are. People impose the catechism. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just want people to know that what they're doing, what they're getting themselves into. No, it, Jesus Christ, he, even Jesus, our master, withheld certain things from the disciples until they were apostles baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see? Oh, I just want people to know what they're what they're getting into. No, it's impossible. You know, okay, let, let's look at fellowships that have the, the catechism, that impose the catechism. What is the rate of falling away in those fellowships? See? There you go. People get mad. Oh, it's easy believism. You know, you say the sinner's prayer and that's easy believism. Well, belief in Jesus Christ is pretty easy. Obedience in Jesus Christ, that depends on you. That depends on your flesh. Are you walking according to the flesh or are you walking according to the Spirit? And yes, you're going to make decisions according to the flesh, but you're going to learn your way. You're going to be chastised from the Lord. If we would judge ourselves, we, would, uh, we wouldn't be judged of the Lord. Maybe a pastor, a godly pastor is going to chastise you. But he's doing it for your soul. To save you. You see? Oh, that's easy believism, easy believism. Well, belief in Jesus Christ is easy. Obedience in Jesus Christ, it can be easy, but the only way it can be easy is when you die daily. You see? Is Paul better than you? Well, no, he's... He's further along. His form of death daily, he's just further along. You see, you have choices to make. To honor and glorify the Lord or honor and glorify yourself. For Paul, his choice, I die daily, he said. In verse 32, if in the manner of man I have fought with the beasts at Ephesus, translates as uh, uh, the, the, the beasts of Ephesus, translates as the uh, 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 to fight with wild beasts. And this is wild beasts as men to be a, a beast fighter. I love that so much. A beast fighter. Look at what he underwent in Ephesus. If in the manner of man I have fought with the beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? Question mark. 
If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You see, what's it for? Yeah, I fought with the beast at Ephesus. What's the point? For what? If the dead do not... You know, let's follow the logic of if there is no resurrection. Let's follow that logic. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul is saying it would be pointless if, if the dead do not rise. It would be pointless, he's saying. And then he says this in verse 33. Do not be deceived or seduced. Do not be deceived. Evil company, evil companionship, evil intercourse. Now, when I say intercourse, a lot of times we think sexual intercourse. But, you know, get your mind out of the gutter. If your mind goes there, you know, repent. Don't let your mind go there. Intercourse is just that, you know, the the Bible speaks of social intercourse among the, the fellowship of the saints. It's beautiful. There is sexual intercourse, but that's husband and wife. This is intercourse, companionship. And when that companionship is evil, it corrupts good habits. And Paul says, don't be deceived, don't be seduced. Division. Division in a church. It's painful. Godly division. I don't mean division like, you know, uh, carnal. I mean division that is godly. It is painful. And when I say division and the separation, I'm talking about like uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when leaven is identified biblically. It's painful. It hurts. But yet it's necessary and it is also beautiful for the remnant. For the remnant. Paul says in verse 34, Awake! Awake, awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. You see, remember, Jesus Christ is the one who says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. This is a big problem in the church today because people are taking advantage of God's grace. Oh yeah, God will forgive me. I'll go ahead and do whatever and God will forgive me. He says, in verse, uh, 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 for, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame, he says. Because there's this hyper grace movement in the church today, which is growing. Look at all the things that are growing today. Look at all the things that are growing today. Ministries that are growing today, but they're false doctrine. You know, the grave soakers. The people who go grave soaking and they have no, no qualms with it whatsoever. But they're going grave soaking, something that is anathema to Christ, something that is an an abomination to the word of God. And yet they're going grave soaking. But then you have the hyper grace movement where people say, oh yeah, go go ahead and do this, go ahead and do that. God is love, God is love. You know, let's just love on these people and God will take care of it. Biblically, how does God take care of it? Biblically speaking, God takes care of it with judgment. Judgment. I mean, you don't want God to take care of it. If you're into hyper grace, you say you're a pastor. If you're a pastor and you're listening and you teach hyper grace, oh yeah, let's just love on these people and God will take care of it. You don't want God to take care of it. Because when God takes care of things like that, when He takes care of it, He judges. And that's not a pretty picture. You need godly vessels, which are the precursor to his judgment, the judgment of the godly vessels, such as Paul, 
who says, okay, this is leaven, take the leaven, and not, not even to eat with such a person once the leaven is identified. Oh, that's so mean. That's so mean. Listen, it's much better, that judgment, than the judgment of the Lord. It's much better. You should desire that judgment, but Satan has everything twisted. Because they, you know, oh, that's so mean-spirited. Paul is so mean. Understand that judgment comes first in the house of God. And the vessels that God uses are going to be the bad guys in the last days. So much so that the world, the, 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 the two prophets, two prophets in Revelation, they're going to be killed by the Antichrist and the world will rejoice. But what about those of understanding that the Antichrist is going to kill? The world is going to rejoice. And the so-called Christians who are in bed with the world, and the Bible says, you know, friendliness with God is, and friendliness with the world is enmity with God. And the Christians who have this friendliness with the world, they're going to rejoice. Oh, he's so judgmental. She's so judgmental. Well, listen, when you have a vessel like Paul, when you have a vessel like Chloe, when you have a vessel like Phoebe, desire that judgment more than the judgment of God. Because the judgment of God is not a pretty picture. And it is coming. As surely as the Lord lives, it is coming. And Paul says, I say this to you. I speak to your shame. In verse 35, but someone will say, how were the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? You see, it, it, these are, are, understand that mockers are going to come in the last days. Mockers are going to be on the rise in the last days. I mean, it's going to get to, you know, these mockers in the last days, even they know the Bible because they start to pinpoint people and say, where's the promise of your Messiah? Where's the promise of his coming? These mockers, they know the Bible. And you know what I'm noticing now among the atheist community? They really know their Bible. Among the Gnostics, the so-called Gnostics and the agnostics, they even some among Satanists, they really know the Bible. More so than a lot of pastors. Mockers of the last days, which will be on the increase. Look at all these things that are going to be on the increase. The church entering crazy town, entering apostasy. A lot of false pastors, a lot of false teachers, a lot of false prophets presenting false doctrine and false Christs, which will be on the rise. Love is going to wax cold. Look at all these things that are going to happen. Uh, mockers, which will be on the rise. And mockers that know their Bible will be on the rise. And remember, the knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. You engage these people. Remember, Satan's a fisherman. Look at what can happen if you're not a Berean. A lot of Christians who say, oh yeah, I'm going to enter this ministry. I'm going to enter this ministry for the drug people. The Lord wants them to be Christians. The Lord wants to save them. Yes, the Lord wants to save them. But maybe it's not you. Or maybe it is you, but not yet. You cannot be a novice because even, you know, these people, oh yeah, why does the Bible say this? Why does the Bible say this? And they're going to say, oh yeah, I, I used to be a Christian, but then this, and then all of a sudden you might buy into that. Oh yeah, you're right. Oh yeah, 
there is this, there is a contradiction in the Bible. Oh yeah, you're right. And then all of a sudden they get sucked into those lifestyles. I'm going to go minister to the druggies and now the druggies got you. No, I shouldn't say that. Satan has you. See, Satan's a fisherman. You cannot be a novice. You have to grow, you have to mature, you have to have, you know, the gift, the greatest gift being love, but then the Lord adds to these gifts. You see? Oh, but I, I, I feel that the Lord wants me to enter this drug ministry. Okay? Let, let's, let's, let's test the spirits. Are there any, it is also written? I don't know. Okay, let's study. Let's pray together. And let's study the Bible and let's look and see. Okay, there's. this doesn't align with the numos. You, you open yourself to the numos. And, and you know, you, you, you want wisdom, but you don't have wisdom because wisdom will never, ever, ever, the wisdom of the Lord will never lead you into a trap. Never. Satan will, as he presents himself as an angel of light. Okay, you have the gift of love. And I love you too, brother. I love you too, sister. You have the gift of love. But let us continue to study. Let us continue to, to learn how to fight, to train up, to be equipped. And the Holy Spirit will give you the gift of knowledge, the gift of understanding. And maybe not the gift, maybe not this calling into this certain ministry. Maybe he's going to give you the gift of healing. And maybe the gift of this, the, the, the calling of this ministry of the, into the, the, the drug world is for another person. And when this other person catches a fish, you have the gift of healing. To pray and you know, heal this person who's been ravaged by drugs. You see, I'm saying these maybes, but I'm painting a picture of how the body of Christ working as one, the same mind, the same spirit, the same Lord. Same doctrine. The spirit of the prophets subject to the prophets. You see, the manifold grace of God is manifold mercy, is manifold works. One body, many parts. You see, verse 35, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, Paul says. Foolish one. You know, Paul wouldn't be well received today. Foolish one. That's what he says. Foolish one. Remember, a remnant. The leaven has been addressed. The leaven has been dealt with. Foolish one. Unbelieving, unwise, ignorant, and stupid. That's how it translates. Paul is saying that foolish one. Oh, Paul's so mean. Paul's so mean. That's what they say. But is it not foolish for someone to say, how are the dead raised up? And how, with what body do they come up? It's almost like a mockery. Paul says, foolish one. What you sow or what you plant is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. I love how it's grain, hearkening our study in Leviticus. But God gives it a body. 
as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Now, observe Israel in the wilderness. God provides for them. Jehovah Jireh, God provides. The first generation dies. The second generation enters the promised land. But the whole time, God has provided for them. Manna, water, God has provided for them. For you and me today, Jehovah Jireh with holy seed, just as we looked at in Luke 8, the word of God. The first generation, and according to Adam, dies. The second generation, according to Christ, lives, enters paradise. You see, Jehovah Jireh, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, you and me today, Jehovah Jireh, God provides. You see, the glorified body. The glorified body. When corruption puts on incorruption. Just like in Luke 20, verse 36, nor can they die anymore for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Verse 39, going back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one There is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. The natural world testifies of these things. We know you. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. You could look at the fish and know, okay, it's not a human. You could look at a bird and know, okay, that's not a fish. The, The natural world testifies of these things. There are also, in like manner, There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies or heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, which you and me today, you look in the mirror, that's your earthly body. But there's another realm. The celestial, the heavenly. But the glory The glory of the celestial, which is the heavenly, is one. And the glory of the terrestrial is another. Remember, order. You and me. We're in these earth suits right now. In these terrestrial suits. But there is a celestial one that's coming. There is a celestial one that will be given. Now, I say that will be given, but I also... Echo the words of Brother Paul. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you, speaking of Paul, unless you believed in vain. Now, I don't say that to scare you. I don't say that to terrify you. But I say that to quicken your heart. Let us be a people that never grows complacent in our journey with the Lord. Because complacency kills. Remember, the deceitfulness of sin. It's another threat to us in our wilderness walk together. Not aimless walking. There's an objective and it's paradise. Understand that these, you know, Paul doesn't right off the bat start to discuss 
the resurrection. He speaks it to the remnant. I love that so much. He's not speaking about the resurrection in chapter 4. Before the division and separation, before the leaven is identified. No, he's speaking to the remnant. Let's look at what happens here. In verse 41, There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. Understand, it's order. Order. Everywhere we look, there's order. I mean, order in the order in the skies. The sun rises, the sun sets. Order. The moon, the stars, order. The animal kingdom, order. It's the kingdom of man where you see disorder. Why? No yielding. No acknowledgement of the Lord. The Lord has been kicked out of the marketplace. Wisdom shouts in the marketplace. Wisdom cries out from the marketplace. And then don't forget, with disobedience, wisdom can laugh too at your calamity. That's what the Bible says. But say to wisdom, you are my sister. Say to understanding, you are my nearest kin. These are gifts of the Lord. Order. In verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Now this is in, in, in accordance to the flesh. In accordance to the flesh, we see like all these things, like the glory of the moon, the glory of the stars, you know, different terrestrial bodies. But now he's speaking to the, to, to, to the remnant, to the us, to you and to me. Let us be a people that, not for, that doesn't forget that so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, which is decay, the ways of Adam dying in the wilderness. I mean, I don't care how young or old you are, but you're getting older. You're getting older to the point where eventually you're going to die. But there is a generation that will not see death. Biblically, there is a generation that will not see death. But in the ways of Adam, the body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. That's Jesus. Sown in corruption is Adam. Raised in incorruption, Jesus. You see, Satan doesn't want you to know these things. Because he wants you, he wants you to die in the wilderness without Jesus Christ. I want you to die in the wilderness with Jesus Christ because you transition from Adam to Jesus Christ and you're dead. You're carrying, we are carrying our cross as dead men walking, as dead women walking. Where? To paradise. Not aimlessly. The promised land. In verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. You don't need me to tell you this. Look at the works of your flesh. Look at the works of your flesh. Even as a believer, look at the works of your flesh. You know, you're not going to be sinless. But as you die daily, you can sin less and less and less and less. Look at what happens here. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Dunamis power, you see? 
It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. That is why we need to stay awake to righteousness. In the last days, the church will fall asleep. Fall asleep. It is happening. It has happened. And it is dangerous. Awake to righteousness. In verse 45, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. This last Adam is Jesus Christ. The first Adam is Adam. The first man, Adam. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's the juxtaposition of Adam and Jesus. Death and life. You make a choice. Jesus Christ is the door. Remember, he says, I am the door. I am the gate. You go through the door. You go through the gate. Understanding that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Those are his words. I'm just the messenger. However, in verse 46, the spiritual is not the first. Now, the spiritual is not Adam. When I was walking in the ways of Adam, I wasn't spiritual. Biblically spiritual. You know, you can do your crystals and do your chakras and all these things, but that's demonic. There is a spiritual aspect of uh, the ways of Adam, but it's demonic. It's a trap because there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to paradise. You see, what about you? When you were in Adam before you came to Christ, You see, in verse 46, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, that's you in Adam. You walking in the ways of Adam. That's the same thing in the Old Testament, the first generation. Don't walk in the ways of Adam. Now, you might be a non-believer. And you are currently, today, in the ways of Adam. Go to the door, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. No more Adam. Reckon Adam dead. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. And be alive in Christ Jesus. The spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. Remember, order. Order. Now, the order in the church, you know, Paul, in spite of the Spirit and in obedience to the Spirit, has to get rid of the leaven. The church in Corinth, okay, this is leaven. Don't even eat with them. Anybody named a brother, not even to eat with them. Okay, so that's that's has been addressed. Now, order in the homes, order in your heart, order in your marriage, order in your family. There's order, order in the fellowship, order in the church. You know, the gift of the Spirit. If you're going to speak in tongues like you know, there's no order, then people are going to think you're crazy. And you know what? Biblically, you are crazy. There needs to be order. Two, at most three. And there has to be interpretation. If there is no interpretation, okay, no tongues. There has to be order. And then even order in considering, not considering, but order in knowing and remembering and retaining the resurrection. The resurrection. Order. You see? You see? 
the, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. It's being born again. Born again. In verse 47, the first man was of the earth, or translates in the Greek of, of the soil. Of the soil. Now, what's being taught today in the schools about global warming is, you know, I'm not entirely opposed to. Because, you know, what they teach to the, you know, if you're of the younger generation, uh, look at what the soil is made of. Soil is made of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, uh, phosphorus, uh, sulfur, and science, what they teach in the schools that, you know, that this is carbon-based life, carbon-based life, which... I'm not entirely opposed to, especially what is written here in verse 47. The first man was of the earth, carbon-based, soil, of the soil. I mean, go to the, you plant plants, look at, you read the back of the label and you see what the soil content is because you want good plants. And they say, it'll say all these ingredients, carbon-based. Science will teach you carbon-based, carbon-based life. There's carbon-based this, carbon-based that. And I understand it and I get it. And to a certain degree, I, I agree. Because remember, Adam was from the earth. Adam was carbon-based. And what are we born into? Adam, carbon-based. What science will know, what they won't teach you in your schools, they won't present the door to you. Capital D. They will never present to you the door. They'll teach you all about carbon-based. They'll teach you about global warming, but there is a biblical warm, uh, uh, biblical global warming. I'll read it. Since I mentioned it, I'll read it. Biblical global warming in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That's biblical global warming. I'm not entirely opposed to the global warming uh, teachings. I'm not entirely opposed because the Bible teaches that there is coming a time where the elements will melt with fervent heat in accordance with global warming and in accordance with climate change that you hear in the schools today. They'll teach about this global warming. They'll teach about carbon-based life, which is Adam. The first man in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47, the first man was of the earth. The first man was of the soil. The first man was of the carbon, the hydrogen, the nitrogen, the oxygen, the phosphorus, and the sulfur. Adam, they're teaching Adam. They're teaching Adam, who was raised from the earth, the dust of the earth, carbon-based Adam. But what they won't teach, they'll tell you how to escape global warming from the ways of the world. They'll say, okay, we got to, you know, get your electric cars, you know, no more uh, fossil fuels, no more of that, no more of that. We got to prevent global warming. But is it, it is impossible 
to prevent the things to come. It is impossible to prevent the kingdom that is coming. They will never present to you a door. Today, I present to you a door. Jesus Christ. Because you need to transition from Adam to Christ. And that only happens through Him. You see? And the day of the Lord, when it comes, that's why, you know, you read the prophet Joel, Joel, you read the prophet Joel, the day of the Lord, a fearful thing. You read what Peter says, and it's okay, it's, we look forward to the day of the Lord. You know, it's like, okay, we, we, it's something that we could look forward to. Now, what's the difference? Why is it that we that you read Joel and it's like, wow, it sounds scary. But then you read Peter, not just 2 Peter 3, but like other passages. You read it, it's like, wow, it sounds like it's a good thing. A good thing, the day of the Lord. Well, is that a contradiction in the Bible? No, it depends on you. If you're playing games with the Lord, the day of the Lord is a fearful thing. If you're not a believer, the day of the Lord is a fearful thing. But if you're abiding in Christ, whew, you can't wait for the day of the Lord. You're looking forward to the day of the Lord. That beautiful, great coming of the day of the Lord. And you're also wanting to save Christians. You're also wanting to save souls. For people to go from non-believer to believer. From carbon-based Adam into heavenly-based Christ. You see? It only comes through Him. It only happens through Him. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. You see? I can only tell you these things. I can only tell you how much I desire for you to go from Adam to Christ. I can only tell you, you have to make that choice for yourself. You can only make that choice for you. I can't make it for you. Nobody can make it for you. People try. But you have to make that choice for yourself. Verse 48, As was the man of dust, Adam, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly Jesus, the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Remember, the frequency of death is not only directionally, directly proportionate to growth, but it is also directly proportionate to your destination. I'll say that again. Your freak, remember how Paul says, I die daily? In verse 31, I die daily. Okay. The frequency of your death is not only directly proportionate to your growth, but it is also directly proportionate to your destination, which is paradise. Paradise. Remember, the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews chapter 3, I say it all the time, and I'm going to keep saying it all the time. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, don't play around with sin. Don't play games with the Lord. Don't play games with your soul.
And so look what happens here in verse 49 in 1 Corinthians 15. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. That's our glorified body. Remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Remember when the, the, uh, the disciples were marveling and then the angels came down? Why do you marvel? This same Christ, you saw him ascend. He's coming again. You see? He made the transition from earthly to heavenly. He, made, he was the resurrection of Christ. His tomb was empty. But you know what? Your tomb will be empty too. Your tomb will be empty. And so we see this in closing. In verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Cannot. Cannot. So for the children out there, the younger generation, the little ones, and adults too, if your school studies, if your, you know, just general studies, if your studies of carbon-based life exclude Jesus Christ, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Into the ways of Adam, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Carbon-based life, dust of the earth-based life. You cannot. It is impossible. And because it is impossible, it is impassable. You need Jesus Christ. You see, as is written here, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Now you start to see this division that happened in Corinth. Yes, it's, it's painful. Yes, it's, it's sad. But these passages are dangerous to live in. Dangerous. Say, yeah, the word of God is beautiful. Yes, it is indeed. But to leaven, these passages are very, very dangerous. Because for leaven to be in sin, for leaven to exist and remain as leaven, these passages become judgment unto leaven. It's much better for the leaven to be out of the church because now these passages are not sowing seeds of judgment unto the leaven. So the brother who, who is doing sex like crazy, the sister who's doing dr drugs like crazy, the sister who's an alcoholic like crazy, and never maturing, a baby forever. It's one thing if you're an alcoholic and you become a Christian, and then you know you become a Christian, and maybe you you uh, uh, maybe you toy around with the sin, and it's like okay, you drink a glass of wine, and then you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You say okay, never again, never again. I'm not trying to make excuse for, you know, to be a drunkard. But to understand that growth is a process sometimes. You're going to have your ups and you're going to have your downs. And I'm not making excuse for sin. But even Israel in the wilderness, even they stumbled after the first generation died. So to you, after your transition from Adam to Christ, even so you, you're going to stumble. And maybe you have stumbled. But does that mean we just stop the fight? Does that mean that we stop walking? Does that mean that we stop this race? No way. I'm going to help you up. You're going to help me up. 
And we're going to walk our race. We're going to walk together. Not aimlessly. Understand that Corinth was, they had this arrested development for three years. Today, some churches have arrested development for 20 years. Some Christians have been baby Christians for 30, 40, 50 years. Never maturing. And so these words become words of judgment. Why? Because corruption cannot inherit. Uh, it cannot inher- the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. You see, these words become very judgmental. And when you have pastors, Bible teachers, who do topical messages, a lot of times they do the topical messages not because they want to teach the topical messages, but because they don't want to address the sin in their fellowship. They don't want to address the sin. They don't want to tell a brother, hey, you know, Cut this out. Don't do the drugs anymore. Don't do the sex anymore. They don't want to say that to a brother. They don't want to say that to a sister. But in so doing, you're helping them not sow seeds of judgment upon them. But because you don't do that, if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, and you don't do that, and you read passages like this, you're sowing seeds of judgment unto them. It is helpful for them. It is much better for them to be leaven and outside the camp of the church. Sin can be so bad that it is much better for them not to have known the way of truth. That's what the Bible says. Sin can be so bad that it's much better for that individual to not have known the way of Christ. Because now they face a very stricter judgment. So yes, there's these terrible and sad aspects of division that happens that the Lord brings. Remember he says, do not think I came to bring peace. I came to divide. He said that. Your enemies will be those in your household. That's what he says. But there's safety behind this division that happens in the fellowship for the remnant, for the sake of the remnant. But then also for the sake of the leaven because their judgment will be lessened. It's not going to be the stricter judgment because they're not. They're not here, Matt. So, a bro, say, say chapter. Five, I mean, not to sound crazy, but say chapter five was never written. So you have in the midst of this fellowship a, a, a guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. You have the drunkards. You have the revilers. You have the extortioners, and they're hearing these words thinking everything's fine and dandy. I'm going to keep having sex with my dad's wife. I'm going to keep having, uh, doing the drugs. I'm going to keep doing the alcohol. I'm going to keep being a reviler. I'm going to keep being a drunkard. I'm going to keep being an extortioner. No big deal. Oh, look, how cool. I, I'm going to be uh, incorrupt. How beautiful is this? You know, I, you know, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, but I'm good to go. I'll go ahead and keep doing these things, but I'm okay. I'm covered, once saved, always saved. No, it's safety all around. It's safety for the remnant, and it's also safety for the leaven. And now, getting ahead of myself, but when we get into 2 Corinthians, and Paul says, okay, now bring these guys back. Bring these guys back in. Now the remnant is better equipped. They rolled around on the mat with Paul for a little bit. Paul has equipped them. You know, as an outpouring of the Spirit, as an outpouring of new wine, 
the Lord has equipped them, but through the vessel Paul. Now they're equipped to handle this leaven. And the leaven has been uh, in outside the camp of the church so that that sorrow kicks in. But godly sorrow because of what it produces. Repentance. You see? Repentance. Just like in the Old Testament. Okay? Let's see if you're clean. Okay? No leaven. Okay, now let's come back in the camp. Let's get you cleaned up. You see? Not advocating the law, but understanding what the law shows us. In verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery or a hidden truth. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. This is made different. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Very interesting how Paul, in spite of the, in spite of the Spirit, says, last trumpet. <laughs> Just in case you happen to be a, a pre-tribulation rapture. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, incorruptible. Remember, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, we who are alive and remain will by no means precede those who are asleep. You see? And Paul makes mention here of the last trumpet. The dead will be raised, but also it is also written, the living will by no means precede the dead. Understand? You read passages like this, and what happens to the pre-tribulation rapture theory? It begins to stumble. It begins to tumble over. Why? Because it cannot stand. Biblically, it cannot stand. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. This is made different. The receiving of our glorified bodies, the receiving of your glorified body. I don't care you're a quadriplegic. You're going to receive a glorified body. And it will be beautiful. You don't have any arms. You don't have any legs. You're going to receive a glorified body and it will be beautiful. And I speak to the remnant. For this corruptible must, it's binding, like legal, legal terms is binding. This corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You see, this is just like the prophecy of Isaiah, which is pending, which is pending. Paul makes mention of this prophecy of Isaiah, which is pending. Death is swallowed up in victory. This will one day be history. Prophecy will cease. Just as is revealed in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Prophecy will cease. But love never fails. And God is love. Everything aligns perfectly, beautifully, and wonderfully. Do you see? Verse 55, in closing, O death, 
where is your sting? I love that so much. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? A lot of people are afraid of death. But for the believer, death already happened. The death in accordance to Adam. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Crucifixion with Christ means that death is imminent. You see? Crucified with Christ is a beautiful thing. Paul says it of himself. Can you say it of yourself? Can I say it of myself? Of course, surely we can die daily. But to be crucified with Christ? Let us be a people that carries our crosses and carries them well so that we crucified with Christ. Which means death, our death is imminent. And when our death is imminent, when it happens, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Remember the law. Remember our study in Romans. The law reveals our need of a Savior. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits of the resurrection. Never forget the first fruits of the resurrection. And what does the Bible say in Revelation 20? I'll read it again. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. Remember what we're studying? Death, where is your sting? The second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Oh, death, where is your sting? In verse 58, in closing, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, remember he's speaking to a remnant. Your labor is not in vain. That's you and me as we traverse our ways in this world, not in, not of the world. We're in the world, we're not of the world. And it's not aimlessly. We have an objective, we have our our eyes on the prize, which is paradise with our Lord Jesus Christ, the promised land. What do I say to the beautiful people of the way? Onward to perfection. Onward to paradise. And death, where is your sting? Onward to our glory. God bless you, beautiful people of the way. I love you.